Yeah, yeah, three Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream on a beautiful, gorgeous, warm, slightly humid Monday morning or Monday afternoon here in the great state of New Jersey. And I am um, joined here by... California on my left, Dallas, and soon to be Chicago on my right, and of course, Omar Abbasi is behind the terminal Okay, today, leading our production. Dave Chappelle sends a terrifying warning to Ice Cube after he exposes Hollywood. Okay, I want to hear it, but it's too long. It's eight minutes long, right? Because, you know, Hollywood, uh, they did a number on Dave Chappelle, and he got booted. For 10 years until people changed and stuff then they let him back in right so and also other comedians waned so they needed some juice and he got himself his netflix and he's on tour and he's back into things and everything so um he's a monster it's the same monster that these me too trying to tell you all right here we go so um dave chappelle what, what do you guys opinion on dave chappelle is he the real deal or is he what Talking about Hajj. No, he went to Hajj. He's a Muslim, right? He's a Muslim, yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh, he made a whole video about it. Uh, it was actually pretty nice. I think. He was saying some good stuff. Yeah. He was making some good points, but it's funny because we had Owen Benjamin on. Yeah. And I was just kind of looking into like Owen Benjamin, who he is, and yeah, because I was curious. Apparently, he's like pretty famous. Yeah. And uh, apparently, like Kanye West or whatever, or whatever, he made a joke that, or not a joke, but he was saying Dave Chappelle is a copy of Owen Benjamin. Like he stole all his jokes from Owen. I heard that a lot too before. Yeah. And uh, there was a time where Owen Benjamin was on some podcasts and he's like this, 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 and listing all these jokes that Chappelle ripped him off. Yeah. yeah. Some podcasts. Mm. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let us turn today, as it is Monday, to this great book called Ashifa. By an Imam Qadi Ayyad, and Qadi Ayyad was not first known, okay, for his Shifa. He was first known for his Sharhan Muslim, and Imam Nawawi, when he writes his Sharhan Muslim, his first go-to is the Shifa, uh, is uh, Qadi Ayyad Sharhan Muslim. All over Sharh Muslim, outside the rules of or the Hadith of Fiqh, right, the Hadith of Ahkam. Because that's going to be Shafi'i only, right? But even them, regarding the metan of the hadith, the wording of the hadith, the first go-to of Imam al-Nawawi is going to be Qadiyyad. Open up the sharh of Nawawi on Muslim. Open up to any random page. And you will find Waqal al-Qadi. All over the book, Waqal al-Qadi, Waqal al-Qadi, Waqal al-Qadi. Why don't Omar open up Shamila and... Do it, for, do us for us as an experiment. Just open to a random page of Sharh Muslim. Go to Tasafah al Maktaba. Go to the first one. No, no, forget it. Just you don't need that. You don't need that. Go to Tasafah al Maktaba. No, the first little brown box there. No, no, not that one. Yeah, the down, down, down. No, no. Go, go back. Go back. You see the brown squares at the middle? Yeah. Go to the first one. The first one. Go to that. Now go to Sharh, uh, Sharh al-Ahadith or 
شروحات الحد شروح الحديث now go to Nawawi Sharha Muslim go down keep going down until you see it right just keep going until you find Imam Nawawi there is that it no that's not it keep going until you find Nawawi keep going no yeah I got you there is that it no keep going keep going Keep going. Wait, 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 is that it? Go up one more click. Uh, no, because now, now we came later, 700s. Yeah, it's by date. Keep going. Okay. There, Sharh Muslim. Yeah, Sharh Nawi Arma. Go to a random fussel. Go to a random bab. Click anything. Go random. Now keep reading and tell me if you see something that says Waqal al Qadi. Al Qadi is Qadi Ayyad. So if Imam al Nawi, the great Muhaddit, the great scholar, the, the scholar who he can really become, his heritage is like a fifth method. He's like a fifth Imam. That's how massive his heritage is in Aqidah, in Hadith, in every subject. Boom, he found it. See? وَقَالَ الْقَادِ عِيَادِ رَحِمَهُ اللَّهُ Okay, see? And what line is that of, the, the, of what you clicked? It's not even the fifth line, right? Like the second paragraph, fifth line down. So Imam al-Nawawi goes back to Qadi Ayyad on everything. Qadi Ayyad is from Marrakesh. Imam al-Nawawi is from Damascus. Anytime that scholar from the West is re- respected by the East, you know he has a lot of weight. Because the East tended to be self-sufficient with themselves. They don't rely on anyone from the West. They never needed to, right? The West, however, always is relying on... They always like look up to the, to the East. You always find Eastern migration. You, you rarely find Western migration. Now, speaking of migration, a lot of guys from Egypt, from Syria, they from Lebanon, they actually have Moroccan origins. Now, why is that? That is because when the Ottomans came in and there were a lot of port cities, they wanted to get loyalists, people who owed their loyalty to them, to settle there and, and populate it with Muslims so that they, they're, they're, uh, other groups don't come in and populate it. So they actually went out gave incentivized people to move east and that's why you have mass migrations from morocco to egypt and even hijaz and sham syria most syrians if they go back to their lineage they'll find it'll be moroccan lebanese too a lot of egyptians too and that's one of the reasons is because the ottomans themselves were officially like making this move happen right and and um Supporting it. So what we have here is the Shifa of Al-Qadi Iyad in the English language. Of course, it's always better to read it in Arabic, but, but it's not with us. It's probably downstairs, but that's okay. We'll suffice ourselves with the English here. Okay. Let's look at what chapter here that I find that people may have, we sort of, we need to read from. Okay. What? Huh? 
Oh, big difference between a Qadi and a Mufti. Very good question. The Qadi actually has executive power. The, the Qadi's ruling is, the difference between it is, it is uh, it must be acted upon. He is a government appointee. He is appointed by the king or the sultan or the khalifa. And al-qadha is sifatun hukmiyyatun um, tujibu tanfidha maqtada. So the, a judgment is, it's an attribute. It's a legal quality or attribute of a ruling, a shara'i ruling, that must be acted upon. Ala sabir tanfidh or something like that. That must be acted upon. Whereas a fatwa is a legal ruling that is not binding. So if a qadi, that's one of the problems, the things with takfir in the Maliki school, and you can ask Sheikh Zuhair about this and others, is that to say that someone is a kafir is not just the work of a qadi. But it's the qadi is the only one who can act upon it. In other words, issue a ruling that so-and-so's marriage is nullified, so-and-so is to be imprisoned, and so-and-so is to be, um, you know, for, for this heresy, for this kufri statement, and they will to be, to be asked about it, and istitaba is to be, istitaba means that you're going to ask this person to make tawbah, for some number of days, bring a sheikh to, to talk to him. And then afterwards, there's his own consequences after that. And then if, if they're a murtad, openly left off their religion, then they're deleted from their public record. All their wealth is immediately assumed by the state. Their marriage is immediately nullified. So the qadi is the one who will do all that. A mufti, it's, he's not an official at all. He's not an official. He could be, a, of course, there are muftis that just answer questions. And they are appointed by states too. But also a regular person can become a mufti. And fatwa, we divide it up into two categories, which is just istifta, right? Which is just a Q&A, like, uh, do I have to do between my toes in wudu? It's just a Q&A. There's no fatwa there. It's just basic fiqh. So... Uh, that type of person can rely upon reliable books or get educated from a sheikh and give the fatwa by that. But the um, mufti and nazila, that is the one who takes a brand new issue and then goes into the madhab, looks at what has been already been, makes analogy by masail, questions that are inside the madhab, right? And then answers the question. And then that, that's a, that's a fatwa. He writes it down. He issues it. His peers look at it, and they may agree or disagree, right? So that is the mufti fin nazila, and that is really the end goal that we want that students should be at. I mean, if someone is a hafiz and a mufti fin nazila, what else do you want? Really, think about that. Hafiz Quran, mufti fin nawazil, and then sometimes they say has khilafa in in the tariq. He can guide people spiritually too. What else do you want from that? Okay. Probably Sheikh Asrar Rashid is close to that. All three. I think. Yeah. Although his specialty is aqidah more than fiqh. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if he has uh, ijazah to give fatawa in in matters. In a, and for the Madiqiyah, probably Sheikh Rami comes closest to that. 
for the Madikiya. Um, for the Shafi'iya, who? In the Shafi'i school. Huh? Sheikh Noor Keller. Sheikh Noor Keller. Yeah. But in the U.S. or the England. We know a lot of Shafi'i scholars in... Uh, right? Maybe Sheikh Osama Salhiya. He's very active in North Jersey. Not really known on the internet, but... Or a national level, but he's he's a massive scholar. Ten years. How, let's go to the Prophet's knowledge of the unseen and future events, page 186. Now, by the way, there are some people that are going to disagree with Qadir Ayyad here. I'm telling you. Some people from um, the Brailvia, they may disagree. But listen. I'm reading you Qadiyat. I'm not giving a fatawa from myself. If you don't like it, you disagree with Qadiyat. You can address his uh, book and write your own critique. But as for us, we transmit the shifa. What's in it, we transmit it as is. Sheikh uh, Muhammad al-Yaqubi is the first one to, that I sat in his lessons of the shifa of Qadiyat. And he taught us sections from it, not the whole thing, right? And he encouraged, in general, the reading of it. See, people sometimes, they worry about reading from books. That's not the case. The case is, which books, and did you understand it properly? So, like as I said earlier, if someone is going to give istifta, answer questions, regular fit questions from a book, you can do that as long as you got the right book and you understood the words. That's the problem, right? So some, a lot of tulab ilm, they don't have time to study the whole book with the sheikh. They'll study portions of it. You get, the, you, you get the idea, and you have an established connection with the sheikh. So if you have a question, you ask. But otherwise, you, you can continue reading the book. And that's, for example, what happened with me, the Dar al class, with Habib Omar, and uh, the book of uh, Tasawwuf by Qawad Tasawwuf from Sidi Ahmad Zarruq. Right? So he assesses if you generally know the content and have the ability to have the connection to ask when you don't know, have the readiness to ask, right? And are in constant communication with fuqaha who are older than you. And then you uh, get the ibn, permission to teach it. That's how it generally works. There's so many books, they're so long, and it's very rare that someone will read a complete book with a sheikh, okay? Section 24, the Prophet's knowledge of the unseen and future events. The hadiths on this subject are like a vast ocean whose depths cannot be plumbed. And which did not cease to overflow. This is one aspect of his miracles, which is definitely known. We have many hadiths which have reached us by multiple paths of transmission regarding his familiarity with the unseen. Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman said, The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam gave us an address in which he did not leave anything that would happen until the last hour came. Okay. Now I have a question. How would the questioner know that the Prophet didn't leave something out? Just from a logical perspective, right? So I think that's an expression, right? Because you need to know as much or more than the speaker to know that he left something or didn't leave something out, right? So I think it's an expression. Yeah, as if he's told us everything. But you cannot make that assessment unless you know everything, right? So um, it's not haram for us to use our brains when we read these things. 
It's no disrespect to a Sahabi. And we're not disrespecting, we're just understanding it properly. It's an expression. Because it's impossible to know that someone who is looking at something that you don't see hasn't left anything out. Okay? That's not, not possible. He then says, whoever remembered it, remembered it. Whoever forgot it, forgot it. Many companions of mine have known it. When, it, when any of it came to pass, I would recognize it and remember it as a man remembers the face of someone who hadn't seen in a long time. Okay. Then Hudayfa said, I do not know whether my companions may have forgotten or pretended to forget. The mess- but the Messenger وسلم, did not leave out the instigator of a single disaster that was going to happen until the end of the world. There were more than 300, and he named them for us, each with his own name, the name of his father and the name of his tribe. Okay. Abu Dhar then said, when the Messenger وسلم, left us, there was not a bird that flies in the sky, but that he had given us some knowledge about it. The compilers of the Sahih and the Imams have related what he taught his companions and family about regarding uh, his promises to them of victory over his enemies, conquest of Mecca, conquest of Jerusalem, conquest of Yemen, conquest of Syria, conquest of Iraq. And the establishment of security so that a woman would go from Hirat to Iraq, not fearing anything but Allah. He said that Medina would be raided and Khaybar would be conquered by Ali the next day. Okay? He foretold those parts of the world that Allah was going to open up to his community and what they would be given of its flowers and fruits, such as the treasures of the Khosros, which is the Persian, and the Caesar of Byzantium. He told us about what would happen among them with regard to sedition, disputation, sectarianism, acting as those before them had done, splitting into sects, only one of which would be 73 sects, only one would be saved, that they would spread out in the earth, that people would come who would wear one fine garment in the morning and another in the evening, and dish after dish would be placed before them. They would embellish their houses as the Kaaba is embellished. Then he said at the end of the Hadith, Today you are better than you will be on that day. Where people don't like to be constricted, right? They don't like to be constricted. And they like vastness of things. And they like the beauty of things. And subhanAllah, back in their time, saying that the basically this saying here that the concept of having a, a garment of the day and a garment of the night it's uh, to them excess, subhanAllah. Today we have a garment for the for the day, a garment for the house, a garment to go out of the house, a garment if you're going to the masjid versus work. If you're going to play sports, you wear another set of clothes. You come home, you take a shower after that, you put back your house clothes on. Before you sleep, you put certain clothes on. Winter sleeping, summer sleeping, have different clothes, different sheets. It's like everything is segmented like that. Okay. So excess though is deemed relative to the pious Muslims of your time and place. None of what I say would be deemed excess by a regular by a pious Muslim today. The concept you can't, went with a blue thobe like that to work and wore the same garment to the gym. No, you're gonna be laughed at in society, right? Um and we'd be the first people to say, What's with you? Okay. You misunderstood this, but he's just, so this is a description. They wear a 
garment in the morning and one in the evening relative to them, the Sahaba, this is excess. Excess is always deemed relative to the righteous Muslims of your time, not from people of the past. Okay. He said that they would strut about on the earth and the girls of Persia and Byzantium would serve them. Allah would withdraw their strength from them. They would lose their strength. They would become so soft. And the evil ones would overcome the good ones. This excess is no good. They would fight the Turks and the Khazars and Byzantium. Khosros and Persia would be obliterated. There would be no Khosros or Persia afterwards. Caesar would pass away. And there would be no Caesar after them. And that's true. These are true prophecies. Like how would the Prophet what would make him know that once the this the, the Persian Empire collapses, it will never come back. Likewise, the Byzantine Empire, once it collapses, it would never come back. That's that's a prophecy, and it, and it came to pass. That's true. There hasn't been a Byzantine Empire or a Persian Empire since then. Okay. The noblest and best of people would be taken away. When the time grew near, knowledge would be taken away, and sedition and bloodshed would appear. Alas, for the Arabs, for an evil that draws near. Okay. Okay. And Arabs here means Muslims Because at the time The only Muslims were the Arabs Like the, the, the symbol of Arabs And Muslims were the same people So that's why at that time uh, When the Prophet said this Meaning Muslims And he used the word Arabs Because that is their description At the time Muslims were Arabs Only And also it rhymes the earth was rolled up for him so that he could see its eastern and western extremities and the dominion of his community was to reach what was rolled up for him. That is why it has extended from east to west, okay, from, from the Indies in the east to the Sea of Tangier in the west, okay, beyond which there is no known civilization because at the time it's, of his writing, it's true that there is no known civilization at the time. It's an amazing uh, concept of why is it that civilization spread in Asia before it spread in uh, the Americas. And according to this theory, which I find it to be a good theory, it makes sense to me. Who knows if it's right? We'll never know. He says that the continent of Asia is, in, is generally goes east to west, and the continent of the Americas is generally north to south. And the north to south climate is radically different throughout. So Canada is radically different from, from Florida, which is radically different again. The seasons are flipped in South America, okay? And so whereas in, if you go to, let's say, Europe, Africa, and Asia, like the bottom of Europe, the top of Africa, and all of Asia, they tend to be horizontal. And horizontal, that results in a similar climate. So that means that if I'm a farmer, I farm corn, let's say, I could farm the same thing all across. I don't have to learn new crops. So I can get better at farming corn, even if I have to move, right? And I can, uh, and the economy becomes one and the same, right? So, whereas in the north to the south, right, continent, which is north to south, it's going to develop slower. Because if I ever have to move from, from, from Canada down to Florida, I got to learn a whole new set of crops, right? So, the result of that crop development and stability of food supply developed much slower in the north-south. There's less predictability, far more predictability in Asia, 
and hence compound that century after century and the Asian, the, the Southern Europe, North Africa and Asia, that part of the world will be over time light years ahead. After a long period of time, like a thousand years, they'll be way ahead. And that's a theory. So who knows if it's true or not, but I like the theory. I like the theory that gives like simple explanations because if someone came with a theory that, oh, no, because they had king such and such. No, that's too specific. You can't have a theory that goes across thousands of years, except that it has to be something major, like the shape of the continent, right? And it could be something that you can't, wouldn't be able to really discern it right away, but the compounding of year after year of this, century after century, season after season, that's going to result in a bigger difference. That's more plausible to me, right? So why is it some people succeed are far more successful than others? Sometimes the reason is that, um, all right, uh, some, sometimes the reason is simply that uh, you wake up half hour earlier, right? Your body just needs 30 minutes less sleep or you have the habit of waking up just half hour earlier than everyone else. But compound that over five years, over 10 years, you're achieving a lot more, right? Uh, Dean Addy telling us that we're shadow banned. Is that true? Can you go into YouTube and tell us if you can find our, our, our live stream? I don't know. People tell me this all the time. Of course, they don't like Owen Benjamin. That's probably why we got shadow banned. But they don't like me either, so. From before? Maybe we should go on Rumble. The earth was rolled up. The Prophet ﷺ could see all of the civilizations or the lands that would enter his dominion. And that was not given to any other prophet. Okay. Islam did not extend to the north and the south in the same way. Rather, it extended east and west more than north and south, which is true. Didn't go up to Scandinavia, did not go to south parts of Africa or even the central parts of Africa. It generally went... See, that's exactly the point. Think about this. You have these Arabs, right? They're going to go to the travel to the climates they're accustomed to. Going west, no problem. Go east, no problem. But go north to Scandinavia, you're going to hit a limit point. I don't know how to live in this climate. Right? You're going to go south? Oh, it's way... It's not a friendly climate down south either. Right? Deep into the heart of Africa... Uh, it's a tough climate for them to, to be in. So traveling east and west around the, uh, the, the same line of latitude, it's easier for people than to go up and down uh, where the climate changes radically. The people of the west will know the truth until the hour comes, said the Prophet ﷺ, narrated in Sahih Muslim, and it tends to be considered the Ahl al-Maghrib the Arabs of the West Africa. Ibn al-Madini believed that this refers to the Arabs because they are distinguished by drinking from a certain kind of leather bucket, al-gharb, and hence that uh, he meant that, but that is, that's, that's not strong. Okay? Uh, but others, he says, believed it refers to the people of the Maghrib. That's what makes sense because the Arabs are not the only people who, who, who drank from a leather skin. Every, everyone in the world drank from a leather skin. You took the leather, you made it in a certain way, or you took the stomach of the animal and, you, and they purified it in a certain way and used it as 
uh, a jug to, to hand, hang their water from. It's called a water skin. Anyone who's watched a Western movie knows this, right? In a hadith from Abu Umama, the Prophet wasallam said, a group of my, from my community will remain constant to the truth, conquering their enemy until the command of Allah comes to them while they are still in that condition. Where are they, O Messenger of Allah? In Jerusalem. Okay. So the people of Al-Quds have a khususiyah here and they're special for this. So why is that something special? And that's something special because it implies that there will be a time where speaking about the truth will be extremely difficult. Speaking the truth in public, as it is now. And speaking the truth in public, you get shadow banned. Well, by Sharia, getting shadow banned is not a hardship, right? Hardship means you can get killed. You can get jailed. Even threatened to go to jail. Lose your job. Those are hardships, and that's what they face in Gaza. And to be honest with you, people always talk about America, the devil, and stuff. No, America has spread filth, pornography, and this disgusting culture throughout the world. That's true. But overall, I don't think in the end of times, the hardship will particularly be, the physical hardship will particularly be here. I actually think that as time, as years pass, the United, the United States will not be the center of attention as much as it was before, right? And that actually may end up becoming a good thing for us, who knows? But uh, I think that Muslims will find a lot more ability to practice their deen here and in the UK than places like Spain, France, China, right? And the Arab countries too. Even the Arab countries should shut you down completely. They could never have anything like this in the Arab countries. You know that? You couldn't do it. You'd be shut down real fast. It's insane that being a Muslim in Kansas, you have more freedom than in Cairo. Crazy. I don't know. Okay. Next, Hadith. He foretold the kingdom of the Umayyads and the rule of Muawiyah and counseled him and said that the Umayyads would make the kingdom of Allah a dynasty. He said that the descendants of Al-Abbas would emerge with black banners and would rule a far larger area than they now ruled. Okay. He said that, he didn't, no source, he didn't give a source for that. The Mahdi would appear and told about what the Ahlul Bayt, the people of his house, would experience and about their slaughter and exile. Okay. He foretold the murder of Ali and said that the most wretched of people would be his killer and that Ali would be uh, and that the and that Ali would be the apportioner of the fire. His friends would enter the garden, and his enemies the fire. So he is a fasil. Okay, among those who would oppose him are the Kharij, Khawarij, and the Nasibiyah, and a group who claim to follow him among the Rafidis would reject him. Okay, the 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 Kharijia, the Kharijites are those who went out against Sayyidina Ali, and the Nasibis are those who hate Ali and Ahl al-Bayt. Okay. And the Rafidis are those who hate the companions. So from Sayyidina Ali, you end up, he is, because he is a shining light, pure light, meaning that from him, there's no ego. Pure light, of course, no, don't take that out of context and say that he's not a human. No, we're saying he's Bashar, but we're saying his guidance is pure. Is anyone going to say there's an issue with Sayyidina Ali's guidance? How then the Prophet said Sayyidina Ali is uh, Aqdaqum Ali, the best judge. 
of things is Ali. Akhdakum Ali. This is the Prophet said this. When he says something and when the way he lives is pure guidance. So from him, the reactions to him are either pure guidance. If you follow him, you're on pure guidance. If you go against him, this is what the Khawarij uh, are. And the haters of uh, the Nasubis. Nasubi means a hater of Ahlul Bayt. And then you have the opposite, the Rafadis. You love him too much now. You misunderstood his message and you hate the Sahaba. Now, when he never hated the Sahaba, right? When he has a son named Omar, why would he name his son Omar? Okay. And he has a son named Abu Bakr, Stiq. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala joined between the lineage of Omar and the lineage of Sayyidina Ali in the great Imam Jafar al-Sadiq. In the Jafar al-Sadiq, he's related to Abu Bakr in two different ways. Okay. This is why he said, Abu Bakr gave birth to me twice. Okay. In Two ways he's related to Abu Bakr. Okay. So, and from the father's line, to, from Sayyidina um, Hussein. Sayyidina Jafar al Sadiq. So, Sayyidina Ali, therefore, is like a fa- fa- something about him. It just divides up those who are guided from the misguided. Whereas not every other Sahabi did this. Not other Sahabi did not have this quality, right? How you react to Sayyidina Ali? You go to excesses regarding him or you stay uh, stick with him? That's why he says he's the apportioner of the fire. Meaning that when you are around, when the people gather around Sayyidina Ali, they immediately go to their extremes that are inside their hearts. That's what it means. It's like the magnetism is so strong that you will either be repelled to one excess or the other or you'll stick with him and your guidance will be perfect after that. The Prophet ﷺ said, Uthman will be killed while reciting the Qur'an, and perhaps Allah will have him wearing a shirt. They want, they will want to remove it, and his blood will fall on the words of Allah. فَسَيْكْفِيكَهُمُ From the Qur'an, verses 2-137. Okay, this is where? Bukhari and Muslim. Okay. He said that sedition would not appear as long as Omar is alive, as Zubair would fight against Ali. Okay, the dogs of Hawab uh, would bark at one of his wives, and many would be killed around her, and she would barely escape. They barked at Aisha when she went to Basra. I mean, the Khawarij wanted to take her as a prisoner. They want to take her as a prisoner of war. How are you going to explain that in your Sharia, right? Their version of their Sharia. Um, Omar is as Sayyidina Ali is like the portion of the fire Omar is the door between fitna okay and Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman said there is a door between our ummah and fitna and Omar asked will that door be opened so that it may be closed again or will it be broken so that it may never will never close again he said no it will be broken and that's when Sayyidina Omar knew he'd be killed. If he had just died, then there could be someone that comes just like him, right, that will establish it. Because the analogy is the analogy of a door. If you close it naturally, you can open it. If it's open naturally, you can close it naturally. But if you break it down, it'll never close again. Okay, so that by that analogy, Omar knew, he knew that he was the door between the fitna and, and the ummah. And that by saying it's going to be broken down, he's going to be killed. He said about Quzman, 
a munafiq. He will be tested together with the Muslims, although he is one of the people of the fire. And later, Quzman was in a difficult situation and committed suicide. He was a munafiq. He said about a group which included Abu Huraira, Samura bin Jundub, and Hudayfa. He said, the last of you will die in a fire. Okay, They kept asking about each other to see who which one of them died first. Hudayfa died. Then Abu Huraira died. And Samura was the last one to, to be alive. So he knew he would die in a fire. Okay. And yet, and uh, out, he he tried to warm himself over a fire one day, but see, this is out of the mercy, is that he became old and senile, right? And the senile, they don't have the same. When he became senile, he lit a fire to warm himself, and he fell into it, right? But sometimes, when people have a senility, they may not have the same feelings about things, right? So that's a mercy of Allah for him. Because if you know that you're going to die in a fire, that's not a nice thing, right? But So why did the Prophet say it? He said it for the, his relatives, right? So that this is something preordained. So he'll tell you the bad thing that's preordained for you so you don't have to be so scared of it, right? It's something Allah has decreed this, and that's it. You know, we know everything is decreed, right? But when you hear it from the Prophet wasallam, and you receive it from a mukashifa, it gives you some kind of mortsmatnina that inshallah it's going to be good, right? The end of it will be good. It may be painful, but the end result will be good. There was one person one time he received a mukashava that um, something bad would happen. He became so scared, asked Allah to, to push it away, push it away, push it away, push it away. And he forgot about it. Then later on he sh- was shown that the replacement of that thing was far better. And then he didn't mind it anymore. So he stopped making du'a for it to be pushed away. Right. So <clears throat> he said about Hamdala. Hamdala, of course, is the one Ghasilul Malaika, right? The the one the Malaika washed him. He asked his wife about him. I saw the angels washing him. Okay. The Prophet said. So they asked her, why would the angels why would the Prophet see the angels washing him? She said, we had just married. He left in Janaba to the jihad before he could do a ghusl. He said, that's why we saw the angels washing him. That's from Ibn Ishaq. The Prophet wasallam said, al-khilafa fi Quraysh. Okay. The business, this, this will remain with Quraysh as long they as they establish the deen. There will be a liar and a destroyer from Thaqif. This is from Muslim and Bukhari. And many people think that it refers to whom? Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, of course. He said that Musaylima would be destroyed by Allah and that Fatima would be the first of his family to follow him to the grave. Both of them were true. He warned about the Rida and said the, that the uh, caliphate after him would last for 30 years and that it would be then become monarchy. And this is exactly what happened. Okay, right after the time of Hassan ibn Ali, he went to Muawiyah and he announced that it's now a monarchy. Meaning that he meant by it, it's not safe to do things the way in which we trust the whole ummah anymore. So the history of the ummah, is just, uh, of the khilafah is described like this. The time of Abu Bakr and Umar and half, half the time of Uthman, the rulers were pious and the bulk of the people were pious. 
from the sixth year after the sixth year of Sayyidina Uthman's time, all through Sayyidina Ali's time, through Sayyidina Al-Hassan's time, the rulers were pious, but the people had become mixed up and many Sahaba died, so the people could no longer be described as pious. And then uh, after that, the rulers and the people were unknown. Right? It could be, uh, it could go either way. But Sayyidina Muawiyah realized that, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that we, the people are no longer trustworthy. So we can't rule the old ways in the old way. We have to rule in the new way where there's distrust of the people. So we have to have locks. We have to have secretaries. We have to have guards everywhere. So on and so forth, like that. Um, where is Sheikh Mahdi? So you're in communication with him? Okay, very good. Very good. Any chance you can get... Um, Images of his books that we're going to talk about. Yeah, he told of the existence of Ways of Qarni, and that there would be emirs who would delay the prayer beyond its time. He said that the business, this affair, began as prophethood and mercy, then mercy and khilafah, then strong monarchy, then arrogant tyranny and corruption. So that there are three phases. Prophet, the era of prophethood and mercy and purity. Then strong monarchies, strong kings who cared about the country, who loved their country and, and respected their deen and had order. Yes, sometimes they could, you can get a corrupt king. But even the corrupt king cares for his country. Make sure everything's clean, upright, cares for the land. Then this will pass away and you'll get jabab, absolute just people from the streets ruling the country for themselves, not caring at all for the sake of the country. And you see this not so long ago. So some of the old grandfathers may have childhood memories of the era of, of a, a, a good era in, in, in Muslim countries where there was like monarchy. They cared about the country, right? Things like that. And uh, you fast forward and these generals who were selling watermelons and selling chickens have become socialists, take over, took over the country, right? And all of a sudden now you have a dump of a land. There was a time, seriously, it, 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 education, they, they used to tell me at least, education in Egypt is far superior to education in many other countries, right? Now you cannot imagine anything to be superior in Egypt, Right? What uh, the pollution, maybe that's it, the negative things only. So, the, even there was a time that the, the Al Mulk Al Adud, yes, he's a king, yes, he's selfish, yes, it's self serving, but in the they're self serving in a way that actually benefits others too, overall, right? They care for the land, they care for the country, okay. But then you have the Jababira, they're essentially bums. And they just, they're stealing for themselves. And you're so stupid that you're, you, don't you realize that you live in a country? Like, wouldn't you want the country to be clean? And I see these people and they used to always say, oh, they steal the money for themselves and stuff like that. And they don't, but if I was a king and I was selfish, don't I still have to drive through the country? Right? They just fly out and they never see the land? 
Okay, here's another question for you. All right, so you're the the king of some third world country. You're the the dictator. Don't you have people coming into your country who are looking and examining stuff and making comments and the world is seeing your country? Don't you care about that? Wouldn't you care that people come into your country and 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 what they say about it and the the comments they make about it and what the ambassadors say and what when another president comes into the country? You can't put blinders. He's going to drive in the roads, right? Huh? What? Yeah? Oh, my gosh. They put blinders? Unbelievable. Make new roads. So that's why these are jababira. They're, they're, they're arrogant, tyrannical fools. They're not even competent tyrants. They're like incompetent tyrants. Their countries are terrible. They, 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 their, their countries are in ruins, and they're stealing people's money. Okay, I don't even think they're stealing the people's money. They're stealing the aid that they get from these Arab countries, right? These, uh, I mean, from the Western countries. Okay, in one hadith, the Prophet ﷺ said there will be thirty deceiving liars. In his community. Four of them would be women. Another hadith says 30 liars. One will be the Dajjal. They would all deny Allah and his messenger. He said the time is near when there will be a lot of non-Arabs amongst you. Who will consume your property and strike your necks. The last hour will not come until a man from Qahtan derives the people. Drives the people to their destination with his staff. Okay. He also said, the best of you are my generation, then those after them, then those after them. After that, people will come uh, who give testimony without being asked to do so, who will be treacherous and not trustworthy, who promise and do not fulfill. There will be excessive corpulence amongst them, meaning weight gain. Meaning nothing is good about you and you indulge in the dunya. Physically, you eat too much. He said, a time is only followed by one that is worse than it. I mean, every com- community, on the aggregate, every generation, on the aggregate will be less than the one before it and more than the one, better than the one after it. On the aggregate, which doesn't mean that you'll have a downward line like this. You have spikes. And those spikes are tajdeeds, little tajdeeds. And there are exceptions. So you may have a, a, a community in general is going down, but a locality within that could be an exception, right? Or a whole locality is going down, but a family within that is an exception, or a whole family going down, and an individual in that who is an exception. Okay. My community, last one before we go to our interview today, he also said, my community will be destroyed at the hands of young men from Quraysh. In one version, Abu Huraira says, if I had wanted to, I could name them for you. The Benny so-and-so and the Benny so-and-so. Let's put a marker here. As a bookmark. All right, our guest has arrived. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yeah, perfect. Make the heads and the eyes the same size and everything. Let's see if we get the sound. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sheikh Mahdi, how are you? Alhamdulillah, 
I'm looking at sounds like that too, because Shady couldn't tell. How's everything? Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Is, trying, to, is, trying to stay awake. Is <laughs> this your it. office in Bradford, England? Yes. My little office, yeah. Mashallah, Bradford is um, uh, north, more, more north of Birmingham, has a nicer climate. Mm. Uh, nicer, they, they have this beautiful garden in the middle of the, the, the city. And uh, so let's, t let's tell our audience about yourself. So first of all, Sheikh Mahdi will be part of Safina Saidi next uh, Arcview next year, uh, starting in the fall. Arcview, which is going to be broken up into four parts. Basic, which is your fardain for anyone to take and learn your basic aqidah and fiqh and tajweed. Arcview basic. Then Arcview... Arabic, and that's what's going to be led by Sheikh Mahdi Laki. He's going to lead the whole program, but it's going to be its own track. And then Arcview Plus, which is the scholarship track. So the Arabic will be will not be on the scholarship track. It'll be its own because it needs its own attention. It needs its own leadership. Okay, mm. the scholarship tracks will then take us to the higher level books in each madhab and in Aqidah, second level book. So what's the second level book in the Hanafi school? Omar, what's the second level book? Hanafi school. Quduri. So whatever is the second level book we go up there. Sheikh Mahdi, you're Shafi'i, right? Yes. Yes. What's, what would be the second level book in the Shafi'i school? Oh, it depends what curriculum you ask. But if you're moving up from, say, the south of Jamia, and then you've got Sifinit and Najah, and then you're going to get into... Uh, the Minhaj al Qawim or the uh, the Muqaddim al Hadramiyyah, and then you're going to move up to uh, the Myth al Qadi Abu Shuja', and then you're going to get into, say, Umda al Sadiq. So, which one is the first one that covers Mu'amalat? That would, that, that would be the Myth al Qadi Abu Shuja'. Abu Shuja' covers Mu'amalat? Yeah. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. Okay, so that's probably yeah. like our version of the Risal of Ibn Abi Zaid. Yeah, so you start because Method Qadi, which I know, like in the Azhar, he's like, because uh, one, one of my teachers of Azhar, like, you have Method Qadi, which you and you do that with three commentaries. You do that with, um, am I loud enough, by the way? Yeah, a little bit louder could yeah. be good. Yeah. All right. Just making sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So uh, he, he told me that in Azhar, for example, you, you do the method the of Qadi Abu Shuja, you do that with three commentaries. So Ibn Qasim al Ghazi, then you do Tahdim Damishki, and then you do the Khatib al Shirbini, and then after that's the Minhaj al Talibin. Um, with three commentaries, so Jalal al-Muhalli, then Al-Khatib al-Shabini again, the Mughdi al-Muhtaj, and then you move on to Imam Shamsi al-Ramli. Okay, uh, so... Is, is Nihaya, yeah. Minhaj al-Talibin, would that be... By them in no way. That's, that's the yeah, highest that's, level. That's, that's, yeah, that's highest level, yeah. That's, that's, that's the it, peak. basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, that, that Arcview Plus seeks to, to go into that realm. Okay. For the virtual classes. The second level... And upwards. So, so we're not going to get to the third level first. We're going to do the second level in all, in the in the school in the in fiqh and aqidah, and hadith. Okay. Mm. Diraya, not riwaya. Right. It could be riwaya too. But then uh, we have Arcview Kids, which is involves teaching basic fiqh, basic sirah, and hifz Quran. So we now have a hafidh and a muhafidh. Did you get contacted by the sister? Okay, so uh, I gave her your number. So we now are, we were, a lot of pa parents are like, uh, I don't know how to get a HIFS teacher online, right? We're going to do it for mm. you, right? And we have Sira and basic fiqh, no, no specific yeah. method, just basic tahara and salah. 
it's essentially in the Maliki school, maybe we'll need Hanafi for 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 the Hanafi families, uh, but we we generally just teach Maliki fiqh as the default. There's no such thing as no madhab, right? But it's it's we don't teach the kids that there's something called madhab because there's no need for that. The default, if you don't ask, it's Maliki, like Azhar. If you don't ask, yeah. it's Maliki. If there comes parent demands, then we'll get a Hanafi to teach uh, the subcontinental kids who want uh, the, their kids to learn the Hanafi school. So that's Arcview kids. All this will be rolled out um, in September, inshallah, S three. And Sheikh Mahdi is here uh, for two reasons. Number one, he is going to be our Arcview Arabic teacher, and not teacher, the, he's in charge of the whole program. Okay. Uh, for Arc View, and we're very excited about that. But he's also visiting us right here in New Jersey uh, the end of this week. When do you arrive? Uh, Thursday, inshallah. Thursday. You arrive Thursday. I hope it's in the morning. Uh, no, I'm going to arrive sometime in the afternoon around okay, 3.30, fair I think. So you arrive Thursday afternoon. You're going to rest all Thursday afternoon, all Friday morning. And then Friday yeah. evening, Friday afternoon you should rest. Friday evening. Okay, inshallah. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Friday uh, evening, he will give his first lecture at MBIC on the mm. subject matter of depression and anxiety. And that leads us to our first question for you, which is mm. tell us about the book. Okay. Depression well, and anxiety in Islam. I, I have I'm in front of you, ready for the plug. <laughs> All right. Put, keep it up that's for a second there. Depression yeah, so and that's anxiety. The, that's the anxiety. Yeah. Now, we called it, as you can see from the Arabic, Al Ka'aba. Uh, uh, it says uh, like causes and treatment um, mm. now so the, sto the story of this uh, the story of this book is that it's not a translation per se it's actually a not, not translation of a book I should say because it's actually it was a TV series uh, that Imam Muhammad Sallallahu gave uh, maybe 15-20 years ago it was 10 episodes Mm. It, was ten, it was ten episodes, and it's part of a wider series called Dirasat Qur'aniya, right? Like, like Quranic studies, and he covered different topics based on that, like who's the Messenger of Allah, so I saw in the Quran, what we understand about uh, certain topics based on the Quran. So, so he did, so he set aside ten episodes just to talk about depression, and he called it Al Kaaba. We uh, decided to add anxiety to the title because he always mentions them together, or mm. the vast majority of the time mentions them together. Right? So he says Kaaba, and then he says Qalaq, or he says and these kinds of things um so my friend and co-author who's also mentioned on the cover um Hazm, he's an old friend of mine like we went to school together uh egyptian like you um but we went to school together in in, in denmark we, we we finished the last four years of high school together denmark um yeah denmark yeah, yeah. We, okay. i finished high school in denmark um his parents are ambassadors uh they were representing egypt at the time so uh, he, he's 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 actually instrumental in 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 my becoming Muslim. I mean, because because he invited me to Egypt uh, after he graduated way back in the year two thousand and so forth. Um, and we've been good friends all, all along. And he he speaks English and he speaks English and Arabic basically like a native. Because um, I was Arabic from home, from growing up in Egypt, but also just going to international schools and so forth. So he's uh, I would say equally proficient in in, in both languages. Um, so. He, and he also helps me with my books as well. Like all my other translations you see, especially Mama Bolti, he's proofreading and editing and, and uh, checking with the Arabic and helping me out. Um, and we came across this series. Uh, we listened, we both listened to it. We fell in love with it. 
and we thought this is a great thing to do. We could actually turn this into a book. Uh, I spoke to the Imam's grandson, Sheikh Rafiq's son, Dr. Mahmoud. I spoke to him about this, and he and he he said that you can go ahead and do it. The only thing you, you have to make sure is that the the Imam himself, like part of his wasiyah, is he did not allow for anyone to transcribe his works. So you couldn't you couldn't just copy it down and then ascribe it to him and say buy Imam al You couldn't do that directly. So you have you'd have to take the work, you know, summarize it, change it a bit, by. and say. Yeah, inspired by or based on, which is based what, we, on, that's what yeah. we did. We said we, we've said it's based on the TV series by, and then it's Mamal Multi, and then translated and summarized by Mahdi and Hazm. That's that's the way we've done it, um, and that that was uh, I, th I thought that was a good that was a, that, was a, that was like a useful license because we we were able to just make the language a lot uh, make make it flow a lot smoother. Um, and obviously, because it was because it's a TV series, like you know, there's certain bits that you don't really need, you know, like repetitions. Yeah. Like in the last episode, we talked about this. Good evening, yep. ladies and gentlemen. Um, took all the repetitions, um, and then we also were able to add sources and things. So, so for example, he might talk about suicide in, in, in you know, the global statistic for suicide or depression rates, drug abuse rates, rates, stuff like that. And then we can just look up footnotes and add them in and say this is what referring to. Uh, one one thing that was very very interesting that came up while we were doing the book is when Imam Bulti was speaking. He, he would draw this distinction between like Western societies and and Islamic societies. That, that was the term he would use. He'd say like Western societies are like this and, and Islamic societies are like this. And Hazm was the first one to flag that. He was like, well, a lot of that stuff that they have over in the West, we got it here we, because he's, he's based in the Emirates. He's like, we got this stuff here. So, so we also said, okay. may have been back then that distinction could have been made, but yeah, yeah, 15 exactly. years but later. Like, yeah. yeah, nowadays it's like... You know, we, you know, the same causes are here in these worlds. So, so, so we decided to go with okay, we'll, we'll talk about secular materialist societies, and then we'll talk about Islamic societies. And we won't name any of them, right? Yeah. We'll let the reader make up his own mind whether he thinks we're talking about America or Egypt or whatever. Um, so that made the book uh, flow a lot smoother. And um, what we decided. Um, and I think when when it got to the end of the book, uh, we had to think about like how 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 do we really present this? How do we really present this? Like like how, how do we give this to people? So after a lot of discussion and uh, consultation with different people, we realized that it would be best. The smartest thing to do would just be to to, to present this book. It's not as, as a psychology book. It's not a psychology manual or textbook. Rather, it is a book on Zohar and Ehsan. Mm. That's really mm. what it is, because what we're getting at is that if you are feeling or depressed or anxious, you don't jump to the conclusion that you have a mental illness and that you need yeah. to seek a mental health professional. Start with the start with the understanding that you can always improve your relationship with Allah. That that's that, that's that's a starting point. It, it doesn't. It doesn't I don't care who you are. Everyone, everyone, everyone has room for improvement. Okay, you're not a prophet or an angel. <laughs> everyone has room for improvement in their relationship with Allah. That that's mm -hmm. that's what it boils down to. So you have to look at: Do you know who Allah is? Do you understand the story of your creation? Do you understand the story of where you're going? Are you in a committed relationship with your Lord? Are there things that you're neglecting? Are there things that you're slacking? And so on. that that's that's where we start the book. It's at it's at that foundation. And that, and that's what, and so that's why Mama Bolte talks about when, and we put this in the introduction. We said that um, he's looking at causes of depression that would not be really thought about or considered in the secular paradigm, right? You know, we're not talking about chemical imbalances or 
simple things like you know a job loss or a divorce we need to look at the bigger picture mm. like what do you like what's really going on here the, and again this goes back to do you know where you're from do you know yeah. where you're going do you understand why law created you do you understand why tribulations happen mm -hmm. like do you understand the nature of this world do you want do you, do you know why you go through bad times do you know go do you, do you know why you go through hard times do you know why you grow old why do you grow sick why why do you die do you know yeah. all these things like if you don't know all these things if you're just here in the world then you're just like well anything could happen and it's all haphazard then of course you're going to be it's like the pressure would be obvious you see a, a lot of people talk about when they hear the word anxiety and depression the first solution they think of is spirituality but i actually mm. think that the vast bulk of those things are addressed in uh theology law and the spirituality is merely remembering the theology and giving life to the law right and um, so yeah. why is all the things that you said are theological questions where did we come yeah. from where are we going what right and then that, those are theological questions. Why do we get sick? Why does old age, why does aging occur? It's almost like sort of sad to see every other famous person or Hollywood person as they age. Lots of surgery. They get these surgeries where, and I don't mean to offend any sisters who ever did the surgery out there, but they all look similar, right? And not, it's never attractive. It's almost yeah, like... It's just be growing you, old gracefully, not disgracefully. Yeah. You yeah. you see the pictures on uh, on Google of celebrity who's you know had like two or three of these surgeries even one of them just botox was not even a surgery right but mm. you see what they look like they didn't get any better right it doesn't look nice mm. they all look similar to each other right yet mm -hmm. people still because of the fear and the anxiety of death and aging forget death aging itself they still go get the 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 the, the whatever shots of botox or whatever it's called right they still go get it and you still just end up looking, have that same, it's like um, Eastern European fish look, right? That's really what the look is like because they get in the forehead. All right, now you look yeah. Eastern, Eastern European, right? No offense, but do you know what I'm saying? When they, they ha it has that slant. And I, uh, I, even my Eastern Europeans friend told me, they, they said that we have, there is a genetically Eastern Europeans have a type of slant in the forehead, right? And okay. that's not something that's I'm making fun of anybody. I'm just saying that that's a description that's that they, they end up looking like. Yeah. Yeah. And then the lips look like a fish. Right. And mm. it's almost like um, it's amazing how every human being's creation, it looks different. Allah's creation of every human being looks different. Yet as Please. soon as human beings get involved in altering the creation, it'll look the same. Right. Mm. And they're all you just you're, they're unidentifiable. Everyone looks the same. So, and I, again, it's not to make fun of someone Muslim who may have gotten this or anything, but I'm just saying, firstly, it's unlawful for us to do this, but at the same time, it's unappealing at the same time. But why do people get driven to do this? It's because the questions that you just answered or, or you just asked, why, why yeah. does aging happen? Right. What, what are we get? What's going to happen to us after we die? Theological questions. Fiqh. Sharia also is a preventative measure against a lot of anxiety and depression. If you think about why some of the secondary causes, I would say theology is the primary stuff. Why do I exist? Where, where am I going? What's the purpose of life? The secondary thing is theology, uh, is fiqh. Uh, anxiety is caused by intoxications. Intoxication, I should say. Um, men, women problems. 
right? Mm-hmm. Problems that people have, men and women. What else? Uh, debts, financial problems. Yeah, financial issues, health issues. Right, health issues. So these, I would say, are the secondary causes. But yeah. fiqh is a preventative measure from all these things. Like a lot of young guys who are depressed. Oh, I'm a depressed. Oh, my girlfriend left me. Well, a girl is depressed. I, so-and-so, they're, they're have fallout over a, a boy, right? Mm-hmm. Sharia prevents these things. And then when you get married, it gives you a track how to get married. When you are when you are married, it gives you a track. What's your job? What's her job, right? And then, go, and then the tertiary things is, I would say, the anxiety and depression that practicing Muslims get. And that is like, they don't have the major issues, but they're just mm-hmm. sort of down, right? And sometimes you just need a jolt to solve, right? Mm-hmm. You just need to increase your dhikr and sometimes even learn what dhikr is. So I would say tasawuf is like the tertiary solution, right? Oftentimes. And whenever people say, I went to the guru and it helped me, or I went to some hippies become Sufis and it helped me out. Well, what the way he helped you out is probably a aqidah point, not just dhikr. Because dhikr without these questions being answered doesn't solve any problems. Dhikr, when you don't still don't really believe in God or know where you're going in life or what's the purpose of life, it doesn't help anything. So, yes, hollow. Yeah. No, so but I that, think uh, what, yeah. No, because I think it's what, what you're getting at again. I think with the soul, because he does talk about that in the book. Because, yeah. like you said, one of the one of the causes of, of of depression, and he said he's seen this in his own life, is that you'd have um, some some someone who could spend their whole life um, it, it, sinful, or I can be in a, I can have, a, have to have a sinful. Oh, they're reading my hand. There's a hand symbol. <laughs> I'm not putting, I'm not putting my hand up. No, but there could, there could, there could, someone can live oh, their whole life in sin. Oh, that's AI thingy, I guess. Okay. Okay. They can live their whole life in sin, and yeah. then, uh, and then repent, and and rectify their lives, and start being committed believers, and praying on time, and leaving awful sins, and all these all the major sins, and so on and so forth. But then Shaitan whispers to them, you see, and Shaitan says, "Your past is so horrible. How could Allah forgive you?" Aren't you ashamed of yourself? You really think that you can change? You really think that Allah is going to take you back after everything you've done? And and, and so, so then you, know, you have to go back to the Quran. That's why it's the Quran. It's the cause of treatment according to the Quran because you have to look at Allah. Allah saying, Like, do not despair. My slaves who despair themselves, do not despair from the rahmah of Allah. Allah forgives all sins. So these are like, like really key messages to get to people that you cannot, uh, you never ever spare the mercy of Allah. And, and, and you have to tell people like this that Allah loves you. And if Allah didn't love you, he wouldn't have called you back. Mm-hmm. Like if Allah didn't love you, you wouldn't have put that in your heart to say, I need to change. Yeah, I need to leave these sins off. So that's that's for the person who's, who's rectifying himself. I think another cause, and this is something I've noticed um, looking in like uh, what I call the Anglosphere, you know, these English-speaking countries, uh, U.S., U.K. I, I, I think a lot of people, uh, and this is something that, you know, Sunni Muslims should be doing. We should be stressing very, very hard on faith-based salvation. That's what mm-hmm. we need to be talking about because a lot of people are, are falling into believing in, what, in deeds-based salvation where mm-hmm. people actually believe that they have to be the 51% good Muslim. Yeah. To, to go to paradise, like to be saved, I have to be that fifty-one. I have to be that fifty-one percent good Muslim. I have to make sure that my my deed, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. Like no, 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 no. It's by Allah's mercy that you're going to going to paradise. Yeah. By Allah's mercy that you found the destination. That's why Muhammad Tahawi says in in, in his Bayana Sunnah, 
he says that the, the people of Ahl-Kabad, Mahdi al-Ummah, that they're in the fire, but not, not Khalidin, mm, right? Yeah. That's Ahl-Kabad, yeah. right? So no, no, no one from this Ummah is in, is in the fire forever, <laughs> right? We're, we're, saved by Allah's, we're saved by Allah's mercy. Yes, the deeds may be mitigating factors in terms of temporary punishment and so, so, so forth, but your final destination is to Allah, so, or is to the paradise. So that, that can be another thing that really bogs down on people where they, where, where they think like, oh, you know, I'm trying so hard, but I might not make it. And that's a, that's a horrible way yeah. to see Allah. That's a really horrible way to see it's like, it's like you're, It's like Allah is like a, a mafia don or something. Like, I'll yeah. do my best, but he might still whoop me. You know, it's not, that's mm -hmm. not how you should see Allah. Subhanallah. Or you know, it's, should, it's, an, it's an accounting. Um, uh, it's, it's stuck on the numbers of deeds. Whereas um, we see that the the stories of the man who killed ninety nine was forgiven mm -hmm. on the attempt to 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 make hijrah, right? Mm -hmm. And also the just is in the same way it takes a lot of iman to avoid sins mm -hmm. and fear punishment. It also takes a lot of iman as well for the positive things. Many people don't believe in the positive things. That's a mm -hmm. result of weakness of iman. Belief that. All sins could be erased. All minor sins for a year could be erased by fasting mm. one day. Ashura. Yeah. All sins for one year back and one year forward can be erased by fasting. Yom Arava. That's it. Mm. Twelve-hour fast. You're gonna maybe it could be at some time in the winter that could be a um, you know a ten-hour fast in which you sleep five hours of it. Right. So mm. for five hours of wakeful fasting. So. You have trouble believing that you need to increase yeah. your iman because it's only that way because Allah chose it to be that way. That's it. We yeah. we today highlight a whole bunch of files and hit the delete button. Mm -hmm. You can have files with encyclopedias and books that, if they were printed out, would fill a whole room. Yet we have all that here, and by highlighting them all and hit delete, immediately they're deleted. Right, they're gone. A brother asked me. So he said, hold on, Yom Arafah forgives the past year and the future year of sins, minor sins. And they could be major sins if you accompany the fasting with Tawbah, right? Specific for that deed. He says, then you're telling us that Ashura erases the, the previous year's deeds. So, but we already erased it with Arafah. And then Juma to Juma erases that. So every time I attend Juma, yeah. so why all these repetitions of forgiveness? So I said, look, forgiveness it's almost like you have a very dirty let's say uh table and you go over it once with a towel is not the same as going over it five times with a towel right or a wall that you that is that is black you give it one coat of white it's still not gonna yes. it, there's still gonna be some blackness another coat and another coat so i said that these are the forgiveness is maghfira the first level it forgives the sin like the sinful intent, Allah forgoes it, forgives it. Mm. The second one is kafaran sayatihim, is that mm. he covers your sins over so you don't get embarrassed. Not only he forgave mm. it, but he covers it so you don't so get no embarrassed. Okay. So that's maghfirah. And then there is takfir al And then there mm. is afu al-dhunub, which is mm. I will protect you from the hardship resulting from this sin. Okay. Mm. So, like what? Like getting, exp uh, uh, like, the results of the sins. So I may have mm. sins that nobody knows about, but I suffer the results of it. Like what? Many people who have sexual deviation, 
We may never see that sin, but he still feels the results. Depression and misery and self-hate, right? He hates himself and he loathes himself. And he feels miserable about this and he distrusts everybody and he, things like that because he's got secrets in the closet. So it's one thing that Allah forgives. It's another thing that he covers up your sins. And it's yet a third thing that he protects you from the after effects of those sins. And then the last level of Afu is to complete, because Afu has two types. One is protection, but the other is a complete erasing of that sin. Such that you come on the day of judgment and you don't even see it in your book. And there are a hadith of people searching for the sin that they committed in their book and their scrolls and not finding it. And also the ayah says that he turns, Allah will turn some bad deeds into good deeds even. So that's the next level of it, right? Turning the bad deed into a good deed. So you see how mm. there's constant, there's there's tabdil. So there's mm. maghfira. There's kafarat sayat. There's afu, mm. which has two levels to it. And there's tabdil. Sayat mm. al-hasanat. And that's why mm. you have these these situations where it's the same period of time, but I'm seeking forgiveness for it over and over and over. You'll be elevating that dark wall or dark heart or dark spot into slowly, not a lighter spot, into slowly a shining spot. And that's the understanding of, of wiping away those deeds. That takes a lot of iman to believe that small deeds can result in that. Right? Hmm. Allah's latif. Allah's latif. And even things, and even things like like you were mentioning, you were mentioning fasting, but even just being kind, kind to your mother. I was with someone last mm. night. We were talking about the, the hadith and Adab al Mufrad, where the man yeah. murdered, he murdered a woman they wanted to marry, and she turned him down. And she went to Ibn Abbas, and Ibn Abbas said, "Do you have a mother?" He said, "No, woman, well, just make toba." Mm. But the narrator of the hadith says, "Why did you ask him? His mother was alive." Yeah, and he, and, and and he said because because that's the quickest way obedience to the mother, good to the mother. That's the, that's that's the one that's the best way to draw near to Allah. Subhanallah. Right. I mean, yeah. there's so many doors and passageways out. There's so many means at your disposal to draw nearer to Allah that will take you out of these these states. Even if you if you are even if you are so wallowed in sin, mm-hmm. you have so many sins. And Shaitan plays on that, and Shaitan's gonna play on that. But so you have to go back to the ayat. You have to go back to the Quran. You have to go back to the Sunnah and remind yourself of these ayat and have a good opinion of Allah, because Allah does say. In the Hadith Qudsi, and in the Vandi Abdi B, right? I, I, I am as my slave sees me. So you, mm-hmm. you, you have to see Allah as merciful. You have to see Allah as, as, have, as having compassion towards you. And that is especially the case, as our other man have told us, that's especially the case when you're approaching death. That's especially the case, like mm-hmm. when you're on your deathbed. Yeah. Like on your deathbed, you should have nothing but a good opinion of Allah. Mm, and and whatever, whatever pain. Imam Suthi talks about this in Shahzador. I'm sure we discussed that before. Like Imam Suthi talks about how, how, how the unbeliever can have an easy death. Mm. Because he's being he's being rewarded for whatever good he did, ah, and then that, and that's the end of it, right? He dies, and that's the end of it, and then, yeah. then it's the opposite. Whereas for the believer, he'll have a hard death because Allah's purifying him. Mm. Right? Whatever sickness, he's, whatever sickness he's going through, everything Allah's purifying him, and then he goes back to Allah. So people should not he make should judgments. Be. People should not make judgments on the good death of a rejecter of faith, because no, that no, may be his reward. Yeah, this is reward. Yeah, that's it. Subhanallah. Allah's just. Allah's Allah's just. Yeah. That, that's, that's not. That's not. That's not an indication of truth or anything. And that's, we know that anyway. <laughs> yeah. Subhanallah. We don't. We don't go by any of these. And, and, and even things like karamat or whatever you want to call it. There's yeah. not. Uh, uh, that's not a proof of truth or, or truth or false. Yeah. It's not it's an a, arbiter. It's a, yeah. It's not an yeah, arbiter truth, of apida. Yeah. 
Let's now turn, before we get to the next book, you mentioned that you finished high school in Denmark. Mm-hmm. What, how, what's your trajectory in life from childhood until Bradford, England? How many different cities did you live in? Well, At least in your talking? youth, because that's your... Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought we tested this before, did we not? Okay, no. I was so how many languages do you speak right now? Oh, I'm... No, Arabic and English are the better ones, and then I have some some French and some Danish. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm forgetting them, alhamdulillah. Well, we don't have um, to go into it now if you don't want to, but but you did spend time in continental Europe. Yeah, so 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 I I, I, I don't mind telling you again. It's okay. So I so I was born in Sweden because my, my dad was working there at the time. Mm. Um, uh, he, was, he was an English professor. So I was born in Sweden. I was only there for eight months. Then we moved to Canada because my mom is a Canadian citizen. Her parents are Russian. Okay, that's where it gets the confusion. People get confused with these kinds of things. Um, so I lived in the Toronto area for about 14 years. Yeah, 14 years. From mm, like, that would be like okay. June 81 to June 96, right? And that's where you and I had that conversation about ice hockey because yeah. that's, yeah, all right. Yeah, we remember those days, right? Yep. Um, yep. my parents got divorced along the way. Then I moved to live with my dad in Denmark for four years. Mm. Right, so that's where I finished high school. I actually did like English O levels and GCSEs, then I did International Baccalaureate, uh, and that's where Hasm and I met. And that and that's like so that's where I was learning about Islam from Hasm during that mm, time. You see, I became Muslim in two thousand. Hasm took me to Egypt um, before that, just to meet family and ask questions and stuff like that, and see Egypt. Uh, it's very very beneficial, mashallah. Then I started my degree in Leeds. I went to Leeds, England. Mm. Right, which, which did, you, did you see Leeds when you were here? I didn't come to Leeds, no. I didn't go to Leeds. Leeds is, just, Leeds is like down the road from Bradford. It's like ten miles away, mm. right? It's it's like it's like a neighboring city. Mm. Uh, so in Leeds, I, I was originally signed up for an Arabic degree. That's not a history degree. It's actually a history degree I was signed up for. I was on a history degree, um, and then in my first year, I found out when I, my first week base when I arrived, I found out. I don't know what they call them in the U.S. Do you, do you have these things called electives in the U.S.? Yeah, we have that. Yeah, you know, like like yeah. like courses that you do alongside your degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Uh, being the super rational fellow that I am, I thought, well, I may as well do an elective in Arabic. Mm. Uh, so <laughs> I, um, so I, because they had this big fair, this big hall full of, you know, different uh, courses being advertised. I thought, all right, I may as well learn some Arabic. So I, so I signed up to do these Arabic electives, um, and then, you know, met the Muslims on the course, and they said to me, you know, you could make Arabic joint honors. You could do Arabic history together. Mm. Do you have that, do you have that expression about joint honors? Yeah. So make, make it together put them together as one degree. Um, and then uh, you get to do a year abroad. There's a year abroad program, right, mm. in your second year. So it's a four-year program. Your second year is abroad. You can go to Morocco. You can go to Kuwait or Egypt or somewhere like that. So I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. So uh, I filled out the paperwork, changed over, made Arabic my uh, my, my, my co-major, you could say. Mm. Uh, and, then, uh, and then I went to Morocco. So I went to Morocco for 2001, 2002. That's where I really dived into Arabic like I took it really mm. seriously um, mm. and then from then like because in that year I covered a lot of just all the basics I did, I did a, a content at with a teacher I did uh, another book in, in grammar and so I covered a lot of stuff and then and then when I came back when I got back to Leeds for the final two years there wasn't really a lot there wasn't really much for them to teach me because <laughs> I've done a lot on the side stuff like that so mm. I, I did some media Arabic courses stuff like that I started translating khutbas of local messages uh, graduated in 2004 uh, with my degree in Arabic history. 
Um, I also did a TEFL qualification during that time. Uh, I did a TEFL qualification in 2003. Then I ended up in the city of Nottingham for four years. Uh, I was teaching uh, kids. Um, I was at a school. Yeah, it was, it was, it was like local Muslim schools. So I was teaching like I was teaching um, secondary humanities. I was teaching like history, geography, these kinds of things. Uh, I did do some Jesus Islamic studies, and I taught Arabic to the kids at the primary school. Uh, then I uh, got a job with. There's a university. Uh, there's, there's a couple universities in Nottingham. So there's one, a small one from Nottingham, Trent University. I applied to be their Arabic coordinator. Mm. Uh, they took me on, so I was their Arabic coordinator for two years. I, I taught. I designed a course and I taught them for a couple of years. Uh, just it's actually a part-time job, but, but there's a lot of demand for it. Mm. I was only going to do like a couple of evenings a week, and it ended up being like two or three. Um, so it was quite good. It was quite good. That was quite good. And then, uh, because of the economic downturn at that time, 2008. I left and I went to I went back to Morocco to my wife went back to Morocco and then that was more studying, teaching English. That's where I was translating Mama Shout Always Tiff's here, mm. um, you know things like that. And then 2011 started translating more books. Uh, I got involved in, in studying a lot of books for people in Malaysia. I started uh, doing some books, uh, Fiqh of Waqf, Kitab al Haram by Imam Ghazali, Imam Noe's Introduction of the Mujmu'a, called the Etiquettes of the Scholar and the Learner, the Mufti, the Mustafti, the Mufti. Um, and then I moved to Jeddah in 2012 and started with it. And I was in Jeddah from 2012 to 2020. Corona. Yeah. And that's where we met at that Umrah when I was at Umrah and you were there. And that was literally like the last Umrah batch that came out of America before Corona. So the winter break of 2019, right. And then 2020. Yeah. 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 And then right then there was the, uh, Corona three months after that, that shut everything down. So, yeah. mashallah, that is a, uh, a impressive um, passport size there, right? With all that travel, mashallah. But that's how yeah. s- some questioners here on the online are saying that's how much you have to travel for it. Yeah, the people travel a lot for knowledge, and uh, especially before a time where there was access to Zoom or a lot of stuff in the English language, you did have to travel a lot. Today, people on their iPads may have books that we couldn't even, you know, imagine. We didn't even know existed, right, in the libraries and the bookstores of Eastern countries. But now uh, things may be a lot easier. Nonetheless, traveling for knowledge is always a great thing. It shows effort. And it puts you in the company of shiuch as opposed to merely just listening to their lectures or reading their books. Now, before we get to the next segment, uh, can I put you on the spot? You're going to take over for me and begin the discussion on your next book, which is marriage, uh, the ver- well, which is your master's thesis. So that's what yeah. you're going to, where we'll talk about, about that next. I'm going to put yeah. our sadikin rep here, uh, okay. uh, inshallah. Salman is going to take over for a second. I'm going to go downstairs real quick, come back mm-hmm. up. But the subject mm-hmm. is uh, the ayat of al-ahkam about marriage, and that's going to be mm-hmm. our intensive here at MBIC on Saturday from mm-hmm. 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., a big intensive on the marriage verses in the Qur'an. Uh, all right, so why don't you come up, Salman, I'll take a break and come back. Good to see you, Sheikh. Yeah, so you have a new book about uh, about marriage. 
It's not. It's, it's it's not a it's not a book. It's not a book. I might put out as a book book uh, at some point in the future. But it is. It's my MA thesis basically. It's my MA thesis. There's a sh there's a sort of like a short summarized version available uh, online published in a journal. Uh, but my MA thesis basically what it's about. It's it's about translating the ayat of the Hakam and Nikah into into English. So they're about seventeen. There's seventeen in number. These ayats. and and I was what I was looking at. Because I was in the Arabic department, my, my master's degree is in Arabic, it's Arabic linguistics. So I'm coming from the Arabic uh, Arabic standpoint, but I'm looking at the Arabic language, English language, fiqh and tafsir and usul, and putting putting it all together into one uh, presentation. So what I did with this with this uh, thesis was I wanted to know, I was trying to get at because no one had ever done this before. This is what I was told by, by my professors over there. No one had ever, ever asked, why do you get different translations, right? Because like, like, mm -hmm. there's so many translations of the Quran out there uh, by different people, whether it's Yusuf Adi or Muhammad al-Fikthal or Abhadim Yusuf Adi or whatever. There's all these different translations. Why? Why? Why do they exist? And so I thought looking at the ayat at Kam and would be very, very interesting because what I've studied in, in my time studying fiqh and studying the Quran and all these kinds of things is the understanding that a translator, there's no such thing as a translator of the Quran. A, a, a translator is really a mufassir. Hmm. He's a mufassir because he's telling you what the Quran means. Right? You can't, you can't, you can't translate an ayah of the Quran and say this is what it is in English. Right? Hmm. You, can, you can say in English the ayah means this or the ayah is saying this. But there's so many, as, as people like Abdul-Adim Abdul Azafani, the big, uh, he's one of the first people that actually, he wrote a big book on the Lumul Quran called um, mm -hmm. Manahil al-Irfan. Manahil al-Irfan fi Lumul Quran. Uh, he died in 1948. He's one of the first people to really go into the issue of translation, what we call translation of the Quran. And he said that, um, he, sh he showed that when people do this, you have you, you you might be able to convey what's called a primary meaning, but you can't convey the secondary meaning. There's all there's all these balagha meanings that get lost, uh, that are important, but they get lost because you, you can't convey them because only Arabic can speak them, right? So mm -hmm. that's so that's why he said he said uh, he said for example he said you understand that Arabic, he said the Quran is the, is a king and he sits on the throne of Arabic. If you take him off his throne, what's he sitting on? Hmm. This is what Allah chose to convey His revelation. This is this is the, this is the language that He chose. You're going to lose stuff. I was I was talking to some some of your colleagues on on a, on a, on a Zoom meeting not, not that long ago, and I explained this sort of thing. I said, for example, you can't you can't you can't translate. Just to give you an example, you cannot translate something as simple as Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah gets lost in translation. Hmm. Why? Especially in English. Especially in English, because in English. In English, we always, always, always every single every single sentence in English. I don't know if you guys remember your grammar stuff in school, but they would have told you that every single sentence in English has a verb, mm -hmm. right? You have yeah. to have a verb, even if it's not if you don't have an action word like jumping or playing or working, whatever. You're going to have the verb to be, right? He is hungry, mm -hmm. right? We are tired. Whatever. You're going to have the verb to be, um, and this and, and 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 the word verb itself in English comes from the Latin word verbatim. Uh, which means the word, right? That's why we say expressions like like it's it's I don't know it's not the word verbatim, but when we when we use the expression verbatim, we mean word by word, don't we? Yeah. Right? Because it means word, mm -hmm. right? So 
so what, what the English what what the English grammarians mean by that is they mean that if you don't have a verb, you don't have a sentence. Like the verb is the word. If you don't have a verb, you don't have a sentence. You don't have meaning, right? Arabic transcends that. Mm -hmm. Arabic transcends that because Arabic, you can have verbal sentences and nominal sentences. You can have a sentence that starts with a verb, a sentence that starts with a noun. Arabs can say something. In Arabic, you can say something without using a verb. If you're not using a verb, you're not confined to time, mm -hmm. right? So if you say, alhamdulillah, we put that in English, we think, oh, all praise be to Allah, all praise belongs to Allah, all praise due to Allah. But you're putting in verbs. Every time you put it in English, you're putting in a verb. Whereas mm -hmm. Allah says, Alhamdulillah, all praise for Allah. It's a timeless expression. Because that's how that's who Allah is. He's outside time. He's the creator of time. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like what, what Imam Dahawi says in Bayan al-Sunnah. He says that Allah is the Khalik before there's a makhluk. Allah's the Rabb before there's a Marbub. He's the creator before there's anything created. He's the He's the Rabb before there's anything to be the Lord over. So the, these things, these things get lost. These things get these these things get lost. So once you understand that that point about how you can't translate the Quran, you're stuck in that way, and there, and therefore when you quote unquote translating, what you have to do is uh what you have to do is explain the meaning so you're essentially a mufessir so when you're translating you're not really a translator you're, you're essentially a mufessir okay now if you're going to be a mufessir of the quran you're actually going to going to write a book or you're going to teach people you're going to say you're going to say to people this is what the quran means this is what Allah is saying to you there are conditions that have to be fulfilled so so this is where i bring in, in my thesis I, I brought in um I quote Imam Suyuti, Imam Jalil Suyuti, in his book Al-Itqan, Al-Itqan fi al Qur'an, because he lists 15 sciences that you have to know. Like, if you're going to be a professor, you have to know 15 sciences. Welcome back. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, and he mentions, like, like, seven or eight of them are, are language-based. You have to know Lugha, you have to know Nahu, you have to know Salaf, you have to know the branches of, of Balaba, you have to know Qira'at, you have to know Fiqh, you have to know Usul, you have to know... Nasr um, you have, you have, you have, and, and then, and then the last one he mentions is Ilm al Mohiba. This is a gift from Allah, right? So, so like, so like translating the Quran is 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 not like a a pastime or a hobby. This is this is like serious serious work that you, yeah. you, you have to be thinking about because you you are a mufessir. Um, so, what I then then go into. Is, is showing, okay, now if we want to talk about why we have all these quote-unquote translations in English and there are discrepancies between them and there are even mistakes in between them, what we find then, what we find then is that this, or why this is happening is that these people are not qualified. Mm. The people who are doing it, they don't have those 15 sciences. They, they, for example, they, they don't understand, they don't understand, for example, that a fail emr, like when, when you see a fail emr in the Quran, it doesn't always indicate wujub, mm -hmm. right? It could it, it can be a threat. It can be a tahdeed. It can be like so. so, so like like we, we we say that in English all the time. We we, we say to someone, yeah, do that and find out. Mm -hmm. That's not a command. It's a threat. Yeah, it's not wujub, <laughs> right? So people, so people, you know, there's, there's people who read read ayat in the Quran. They, where, you know, where Allah will say, um, I can't think of a particular ayat right now, but there's, Allah will say like, uh, uh, was it like sirat al ards, right? Go in the earth, you'll see what happens before you. It's not a command. It's not wujub. It's not even negative. It's a law just telling you if you go out in the earth, this is what you will see. Yeah. 
right? But people understand that as being as being as somehow being being an obligation, right? Um, so, so what I'm showing, and so so why these 59 after cameras are, are so are, are so crucial? Why I chose them? This is what I'm what we're going to cover on Saturdays. I show them, like obviously because the because marriage is the building block of society. It's the building block of the community. It's so important that we get this right because mm. if we don't. People are in invalid marriages. People are getting divorced for the wrong reasons. It's it's a mess, right? If if you screw up marriage, you screw up everything, yes. basically, <laughs> right? It's, it's it's the foundation of your entire community, right? Mm -hmm. if, if that's not sound, everything just yeah. collapses. So, I then raised, raised I kind of, I kind of like raised the alarm here, where I'm saying, okay, now, if these iat are being translated into English and they're being mistranslated, and people in the Shikini communities are relying on that to build up ACAM, whatever they're doing in their communities. Mm -hmm. Houston, we have a problem. Sorry, New Jersey. We have a problem, <laughs> right? So it's like, it, it's it, like we, we, have, we have to address this. So that, that's what I, so I, what I did is I chose to make it more relevant is I chose, this was now, this is like the, the summer of 2020. So I, I went on Amazon US, the Amazon West, and I looked at okay, what are the most uh, common translations, what are the most popular best-selling translations? Um, so we had ended up being it was uh, Yusuf Adi, I believe Yusuf Adi, Abdul Halim, and a new one I hadn't heard of called Clear Quran by someone called Talal Aitani. I think he's based in Texas. And then the professors over there uh, in Jeddah they suggested me could could you also put in Taqiyadin Hilali like that one because that that's the one they put out in Medina, the mm -hmm. published in Medina, and that's like yep. uh, that has Arabic English side by side. Uh, and they said, like, like we tend to rely on that. So could you research that one as well? Could you just add that to the list? So great. So I, I put them all together, and I, lo I looked at the linguistic differences, looked at the grammar difference, looked at the vocabulary differences. And so that, that's why I laid it out. I said, like, this is what Allah says. Like, give you the ayah, then I break down, then I show you. Okay, this is how so and so translates. This is how so and so translates. And look at the differences. Mm. And you you get really uh, you get you get some really scary mistakes. Subhanallah. Um, Example. You, you, okay. Um, well, I'll give you an example. You can imagine what would happen if if a translator does not know what the word consummate means. Mm. Doesn't really know what it means. So uh, I remember. I think the ayah was. Uh, let me whip it out here. Um, it, there was an ayah. It was a circle bakra. I uh, I think it was I one three five. Was it two, three, five? There's the there's the ayah. It was the ayah about um, it was the ayah about about proposing to a woman who's in in Idda al right? Like like she's she's in Idda because her husband has died, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, and Allah says that there's nothing wrong if you do if you do ta'rid, um, right? Mm -hmm. Right. This is ayah two, three, five in, in Baqarah, right? So. So all all the, all the mufassirin will tell you, right? And, and that's whether you go to like normal tafsir, just a standard tafsir, or you go to like I, like tafsir ayat al-Hakim. I'll tell you that that ta'rid, means to uh, announce it. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Ta'rid is to hint. Mm. Ta'rid is to hint at the, that you want marriage, right? So like for example, Ibn Kathir will give examples. So it's like you might say this this lady like Auntie Jamila, right? You might you might drop a glint like you're beautiful, or you might say any man would be happy to have you. That's a hint, mm. right? There's nothing wrong with yeah. that. Right, but it's, it's not a formal proposal. As long as it's not a formal proposal, you're okay. You can, you're allowed to hint. Okay. Um, one of the translators understood "ta'rid" to be the same as "ard." 
and said there's Exposure? nothing wrong with you declaring it. There's oh, wow. Declaring it. There's nothing wrong with you announcing it. It's like, yeah, wow. Right? Mm-hmm. And, then you, and, then you, and then you go through the ayah. You go down, you go through the ayah, right? Uh, right? And, then, and then Allah says, um, uh, at the end, right? Allah says, Right? Exactly. So don't. So, like, something it's like, as well as the resolve. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I argue that the best way to translate would probably be something like this in Americanism. Don't even think about it. Mm. Right? Don't even well, think about it. Yeah. Yeah, don't like don't because like as with the resolve, so it's like so don't even don't even think about it. don't even, don't have the resolve to marry her until the the ed does ended mm-hmm. until the ed does ended that that's what it means that's what it means right so now you go from the beginning of some okay, so let's let's recap you go from the beginning of the ayah where Allah is telling you the most you can do is drop a hint mm-hmm. if you want to marry this lady she's an interval of fat the most you can do is drop a hint. End of the eye, Allah saying, "Don't even think about marrying her until the, 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 it has ended." One of the translators translated "la ta'zimu" as "do not consummate the marriage." Wow! Until the kitab is like, well, wait, wait a second. That's a disaster. <laughs> That's a disaster. <laughs> how do we? How do we go from you can't even drop a hint to yeah? Don't consummate. Can't consummate. <laughs> this is, that's. That's unbelievable. One of the one of them one of them translated "al kitab" literally as as the book. <laughs> Which is the idda? Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> what? It, so, how does that transition even work? Uh, do not uh, intend marriage until the book reaches its end. Like, how does it even work? Yeah, you see, but they, but again, this is this is where people are thinking they can translate this stuff just by uh, mm. just by using their Arabic, their language. Okay, yeah, you might know what the word means. But you're not looking at the tafsir. Like the tafsir, tafsir right. I can't. Um, I think I think a more egregious example. I think I think something. Okay, yeah, yeah more egregious than that. I would say, in a way, um, came where, um, and this I did this in the last part of my piece. So I covered this thing. Whereas, we, you know, we we have something, and this exists in, in every legal system. We call it, you know, what I mean by it? we call it like mafum mukhalifa, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mafum mukhalifa. Understanding uh, from the I, opposite. Yeah, understanding the opposite exactly, right? And they have this in they have this in American law as well. Actually, reading it in the book um, Reading Law by Justice Scalia and Brian Aaron Garner, they, they mm. have a whole chapter on this. It's called it's called negative implication. Yeah. Right. Negative mm. implication. And I watched an interview with Justice Scalia and Peter Robinson. There's Justice Scalia. What he explains in there is he says the negative negative implication is there, but it's not always there. Mm-hmm. Right. You, you can't make those things seems always there. So so for example, if we go to a restaurant and the sign says under fives eat free. You understand what? Over five pays. Okay. Five or right. over pays. Right. Yeah. Right. But if you if the sign in the restaurant says no no dogs or cats allowed, what do you understand from that? Mm, that's it. Also, no animals. Yeah, there's no animals, no pets. No right? animals. You would yeah. think okay, okay I'll, go, I'll go home and get my giraffe. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because because the because he said some 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 sometimes. It's it. There is a mafum mukhalifa, but sometimes it's just it's just mentioning what's the what the majority is. That's true. Yeah. There is no mafum mukhalifa. You you can't make that mistake. You don't say okay. Well, no no dodger cats. Great. I'll, I'll get my elephant and my cougar. Yeah. And, Subhanallah. And, they no. say the same thing in usul. Al al ghalib. Madkur al al ghalib. Al ghalib. Yeah. Or 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 mahr. Yeah. Mahr al ghalib. Exactly. Yeah. So what I discovered uh, doing in in my in my translations was that when when I got to when I got to um there's 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 two ayat where where 
this is really, really serious. And he, Imam Kathir even points this out. He says, like, this is where you understand, like, he says, she's in this eye and this eye. It's Surah Sulla Nisa, eye 23, and it's in Surah Sulla Nur, I think, eye 33, I think it is, where he says, this is, there's no, he says, la mafhuma la, in this ayah. La mafhuma khalifa. Yeah, exactly, mafhuma khalifa, right? Now, again, if you don't understand that the Sulli terminology, you might read and think, okay, there's no understanding here, there's no concept here. No, 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 no. What he means, what he means, if you understand the Sulli terminology, the Lala terminology, you know, that means there's no mafhuma khalifa. That's what he's saying, right? So, so in certain he said, I-23, and I want to make sure I get this right, he says, uh, or Allah says that uh, this is like Hormat Alekum Hatakum, right? All, all the people that you can you cannot marry, right? Now the key thing is where Allah says, Waraba ibokumalati fi hujurikum. Yes, right? that's exactly it. Yep. Right? Your stepdaughters who are under your care, right? Now, how do you translate that? Because yep. Allah says Raba ibokum alati, right? So so the alati fi hujurikum, that part. That's not muhalafa, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. right? It, does, it doesn't mean that if your stepdaughter is not living with you. That's the exact example they give in the usul books. That specific yeah. ayah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that one. Yeah. So you, you can you cannot you cannot assume you cannot assume that uh, you know, your stepdaughter if she's not living with you then you're allowed to marry. No, your stepdaughter is yeah. not allowed to live with you. And the revival, the fact that she's allowed to be that's just the qalib. Yeah. In most cases, that's what you, so. So, and again, I look. Every translation I've seen in this eye, not just, not just in my MA thesis, every translation I've, I've seen gets this wrong. Mm, wow. wow. Right? Where, 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 it's, where it's given as, as if it's your stepdaughter's under your care. It's your stepdaughter's yeah. in, under guardianship. It's your stepdaughter's in your house. And it's like, no, you, you, you have to, now you need to know English grammar now. Because yeah. English grammar, we have something called defining and non-defining relative clauses. Mm. Right? How you break it down, whether you're talking about everyone, you're talking about just a group. So, for example, right? I'm gonna bore you guys. I'm teaching English grammar now, but <laughs> let's get into this. So, if if I say if I say, for example, my students, comma, who love grammar, comma, will pass the exam, that's not the same as my students who love grammar will pass the exam with no commas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. My students, comma, who love grammar, comma, will pass the exam. It's called a non-defining relative clause or yeah. non-restrictive relative clause. It means all of them. Yeah. The fact that they love grammar is simply extra information. It's parenthetical. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. not crucial. Whereas if I say my students will love grammar will pass the exam, I'm defining it. Yeah. I'm saying only my students will love grammar will pass the exam. Mm -hmm. Right. So the, the way to translate an ayah like this, the way to translate an ayah like this would be to say your step your stepdaughters, comma, who tend to be under your care. Yes. Comma, yeah. And carry on. That that's the yeah. best way to say it. Right. Just to say the point, like they, they might be in your care. Most cases they are in your care. <clears throat> But that's not defining them. You're not defining them. It's yeah. just stepdaughters. It's just a description, a common description. And, yeah, exactly. and and when people ask, well, then why would Allah put it there if it's not restrictive? And the answer to that is oh. that one of the answers to that is that it's actually telling you that it's permissible for the stepdaughter yeah. to live with the men. So it's exactly, giving exactly. you two pieces yeah. of information in one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the other, the other ayah, just, just remember, the other ayah was in Surah Al-Nur, where Allah says, um, Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like, so don't, don't, don't force your slave girls in, 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 in. Now, the way I would translate it is I would say, do not force your slave girls into prostitution, comma, who might want to remain pure. Mm. Right? But the way everyone translates, I think that's, I think it's ayah 33. I mean, it's ayah 33 in Surah Nur. 
Yeah. Now everyone translates the in there as if it's conditional. Yeah. Don't 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 force your slave girls into prostitution if they want if, to remain chaste. So if they don't want to be yeah. chaste, then you can't. <laughs> That, but, that but would be the misunderstanding. That's, that's not even logical. Yeah, that's, that's not even logical. Like, yeah. fuck, fuck, so Fakhreddin al-Razi yeah. says in his tafsir, he makes it very clear, he says, he says, he says that, that, that's, that's not ma'kul. Yeah. There's, there's no meaning to the force. You, 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 can't, you can't say, for example, uh, if a man's hungry, don't force him to eat. Yeah. It's like, he's hungry. How, 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 how are you going to force him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no logic to it. Mm-hmm. But, but, but everyone translates it that way. I, yeah. I, all the tattoos looked at. Everyone translated. Not 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 just not just these ones in my study. All the ones I looked at, they all put it that way. They, all, they always say, "Do not force your slaves into prostitution if they want to remain pure." And, and yeah. but well, the Mufassir say you can't force anyone to prostitution. That's not yeah. allowed. It's haram. Yeah. Don't force anyone to prostitution. The fact that they may they may want to remain pure that's separate information. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but these are mistakes that arise when people don't know. They know the grammar, they don't know the tafsir, they don't know the usul, yeah. they don't know the, and then these mistakes arise, and, and you're just not looking at tafsir literature. So let me ask you like this. I, Sorry, you continue before I ask you my next question. No, and I, and I just I just want to finish that point that like, sure. like this that that ayah in Surah Number Thirty Three that that that's the one that really kind of struck out to me. Where just I thought like how come like you you you're, like read that back to yourself. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Mm-hmm. Don't force someone to prostitution if they want to remain pure. So, but if if a woman as Fakhdin Razi says, Imam Fakhdin Razi says, if a woman doesn't want to remain pure, like she wants to be a whore, how do you force her yeah. to be one? It, you know, it doesn't, there's no meaning to it. Yeah. Uh, did, when you, at the time of your study, had Sheikh Nuh's uh, Quran Beheld come out yet? Uh, no. But have I you had have a chance to it. look at it? Yes. Yeah. And did you find anything from what you talked about you know, needing to be adjusted or curious question marks in it. I'll answer in the affirmative. In the affirmative. Ajib, ajib. Now, do you think that some scholars translate the Quran word for word exactly uh, as it is, and then basically with the philosophy of the argument that, well, if you want to know any more, you need the tafsir. So yeah, they're I, not going to put a tafsir in the translation. We don't know what their intentions are. I mean, I, I haven't read the introduction to the the, yeah. the, 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 um, the uh, that that translation in particular, but I'm saying you can't. I don't see how you can really do that. I, I, you just, I just want to put, I just want to put out a, a blame translation because you, again, you're still in the mode of telling people what the Quran means. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And 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 these mistakes are going to rise. And again, we have to go back to those those fifteen signs that you have to know. Yeah. And I, can, I think I think also what I'd like to do is, is draw a comparison. I, I also put this in my thesis because I, I think this is quite galling. I, I was quite shocked when I read this. Have you have you read the history of, of the King James Bible? No. How that came about? No, not really. Okay, so 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 the King James Bible. This was this was compiled. So this was this was the English. This is the, the official English translation commissioned by King James. Uh, he's, not, he's not the guy who translated it. He, mm-hmm. he, so it's, you're translating from Greek and Hebrew into English. Uh, now this was a long project. This took from like I think it was like from 1704 to 1711. Uh, that was the right century, yeah. And he had 50 people do it. Wow, different right? chapters. Like one, yeah, 
Wow. Well, well, I'll explain what he did. So, so it, like one rewise is 48, one rewise is 52. But <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so what, what he did is he, t- he, he brought together the top scholars of England. He brought together the, the professors of Hebrew, the professors of, of, of Greek, the professors of theology from Oxford, from Cambridge, from different parts of the country. He brought together the best people that he could find, broke them up into like seven panels and said, okay, you guys or the Hebrew, you guys are in charge of these chapters of the Bible as a panel. You guys are in charge of this part of the Old Testament, and you guys are in charge of the New Testament. So it's like seven panels all split up, right? And 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 they're and they're a combination of like theologians, linguists, legal people, all together. And they and they produce the translation, and then they do they had a review process, mm. right? Where they would actually like they, they, they swap the panels around, they check each other's work. And then they'd have like one conference at the end where they go over verse by verse, verse by verse. Like, do we all agree that this is the best way to render this mm. verse in English? Yes. Next. Mm. That's how meticulous they were. Wow. Wow. These aren't believers. Yeah. These are people with a corrupted book. Mm-hmm. Right. But this is how serious they took it. Wow. Like, this is how. This is the effort they put into. Like this is, and, and this is why, like the the King James Bible. I, I don't know what the effect is like in in in, in America, but in in England. People are so proud of that thing, and I think wow. they have a right to be because because when they when when an English person talks about the King James Bible, he almost becomes, he becomes like effusive, mm. and and so and so many, uh, like common phrases in the English language come to the King James Bible. Like I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, yeah. the powers that be, all these expressions, mm. all, all these like classic expressions, they, they all come to the King James Bible. That that's mm. the influence it has. Like like people see it's like it's either on par or above Shakespeare. Wow, right? That's mm. the King James Bible. But why though? Because the effort that was put into it, and even and even if you look at things like the New Standard Version of the United States, even that was done by a panel of people, mm. right? Even that was done by a panel. Like people came together, di- different backgrounds, different 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 disciplines, and brought them together, right? So, I, what I I think that my conclusion, what I found was quite shocking, was like like how come they're putting that much effort into their translations of the Bible, and we're over here thinking that just one guy can do it? Yeah, yeah. That's a good, that's a, that's a, that's an amazing point. I mean, I never thought, I never knew that the King James Bible, they took that much effort to uh, put the translation into it. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Or in the translation. I never thought about that. I never knew that. And it it is a heavy responsibility for somebody to translate, you know, the word of Allah and you need all these uh, sciences to understand it. And, and then there's philosophical questions like, are we just translating it or are we giving putting our tafsir in it we are we're always putting our tafsir right. in it because this, this, this is the conclusion this is why i highly recommend the book if you can get it i mean yeah. I'm, i can grab off my shelf right now hold on mm. <clears throat> this is the book i highly recommend for dr shadi can, can you read that is that not mirrored right manahli al-fan fi ulumul quran yes yes this sealed by, no this is abdulimas al-zarqani abdulimas al-zarqani he passed Azar Khan. so that's the original that's the original source manahir yeah, yeah. So, he, so, so, yeah so, so he's 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 the first uh, alim to really look at this issue of translation right and like what is it what do we mean mm. to translate the quran so, so so what you find is that later people later adama when they talk about it they fall back on him so like imam bulti in his book on 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 the quran he falls back on him uh imam musfa and mahdi mistu in the book al wadi they fall back on him uh shaykh muhammad ali sabuni his book of tibyan he falls back on him they all fall back on on this individual uh the sheikh because he really goes into it and, and explains that we're not taught, this is tafsir what you're doing is tafsir so his conclusion yeah. is he said if we're going to put the quran in another language 
what we have to do is we we have we have to have again we have to have a panel of people. And he doesn't mention King James Bible. He just says we have to have a panel of people. You have to have scholars from different disciplines and like fiqh and usul and language and so forth. And then you have to have the Arabic text has to be there, right? Uh, and he recommends Hafsam Awesome because it's the most popular, it's the easiest one. And then on the side, you just say this ayah means this. Yeah. This ayah means that. That's the way to do it. This yeah. ayah means this. This ayah means this. You explain it like that, and you make you make it clear. You make it clear that your your translation, whatever you want to call it, your tafsir, is dependent on the text itself. Yeah. Right. Like they, like the translation does not replace the mm -hmm. uh, the text. Right. Because again, yeah. this is something he talks. To. He says he says look at the Bible. People think that because they think that, that that their their translation replaces the original. I have the King James Bible. I don't need to go anything. Else. I don't need anything else. That's why you, you hear these funky statements where people say like, you know, what's wrong with English? It was good enough for Jesus. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> I, I, I debated a you know, I had a short debate with a Christian guy the other day, and I said to him, "What language did Jesus speak?" He said like Syriac or Syriani or whatever. I said, yeah, so what language is the Bible in? And he said, I read it mm. in English, right? So I was like, so you don't have the, the Bible of Jesus? He said, no, we haven't. Mm. We just translated it, right? As if translation right. is a direct carbon copy, just a different, uh, like a lens mm. or a different shade of color, right? So there's yeah. like no concept that when you translate it over something that you lost meaning. And that's going to happen to yeah. people who don't know two different languages and have never tried mm. to translate an idiom. Like all throughout my youth, and probably every ethnic kid who had a, grew up with a second language, you've had to translate to your non-ethnic friends an idiom, and it just doesn't mm. come out right, right? Oh, or yeah. why you're laughing at this joke, okay? Uh, you got to translate an idiom, and you realize idioms can't be translated, expressions can't be mm. translated, um, things like that can just they you can't just click it over into another language and get the same result, right? So. Yeah. Uh, but but you could have some explicit tafsir. Like, for example, when you said, yeah. right, your stepdaughters who are in your homes. Okay. Yeah, comma. Yeah, comma. <laughs> but it's really your stepdaughters who would tend to most likely live with you. Yeah, exactly. Be yeah. living with you. Yeah. That would be an exactly. explicit tafsir in the book. Mm. Right, so that way you 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 wouldn't even call it a translation of the Quran. You would say the meaning of the Quran, right? Mm. Like yeah. this is the verse, and this is what it means. It's not a direct translation, right? This is what yeah. it means, and mm -hmm. that's probably more accurate. And you get away mm. with a lot more, and you're able to do a lot more, right? Mm. When it when a person does that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think that that's that's the way forward, and I think we have to because what Sheikh Muhammad Salkani gets at, yeah, and what the man that follow him is, is that we we cannot allow what happened to the Bible after the Quran, where people mm -hmm. think that the translation takes the place of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and and he and he's he's very very exact about that. He says, you know, you you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't put it out, and then the title says the Quran. Yeah, yeah. No, you should say clearly that the title that like, this is a translation of the Quran or the means yeah. of the Quran or. Right, and you know that we cannot allow that to happen. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's one of the things I, I always put forth in my books, like like, like all the stuff I'm translating, whatever it is. You know, I'm not trying to replace Arabic. You know, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll help you, but Arabic, whether it's the Quran or anything else, it's not replaceable. It's so, not replaceable. in your uh, course on this and in your master's thesis, are you going into the fiqh of these? Because uh, they're ayat al-ahkam. So, which fiqh are you relying upon if somebody asks that question? 
Saturday when you come and do this, for example. Okay, so I'm obviously I'm a chef, but I do I do quote the four schools as best I can. Um, So I have I have a chef book of school, a chef book of Ayat Lahkam. I'm quote I quote Imam Qurtubi obviously, because those those are just gems. I mean, comes to Ayat Lahkam and Quran, and then Al-Jahid for the Hanafis. Who? Al-Jahid. Jahad, the, oh, okay. no, not Jahad. No, sorry, 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 uh, Fakir Razi, that's just indispensable. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for the, the Loga, just like his, his commentary yeah. on language is just uh sublime. Um, uh, who else? And, and then, and then some of the modern tafsirs as well. So I use like Sabuni, his his book on 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 uh, I also use Imam Wahbiz Zahedi's uh, giant one, the um, Munir. Uh, which about seventeen volumes. Yeah. Uh, that's that's fantastic to see. That's absolutely fantastic to see. Um, so the, to get a well-rounded picture, like the, like these are the mufassirun. This is what the mufassirun say. Like because again, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like if if you're putting out the meaning of an eye is this. Yeah. And Imam Kathir and Imam Qurtubi and Imam Fakhri Razi and all these, they all disagree with you. Yeah. Somehow. <laughs> How about Ibn Ashur? Did you come no, upon him? him? Mm-hmm. Not even Ashur. No. Is people Maybe praise in a, people in a future edition. Yeah. yeah, people praise his tafsir a lot. Although it has some things that are, um, you know, questionable, but the rest of it is uh, people praise it a lot. Like for example, he has um, very questionable comments on muta. Like his conclusion okay. on muta is bizarre. From a Sunni Maliki uh, to say what he said about muta, right? It's ajib. And also, and other things too. But otherwise, they say that every scholar makes a uh, mistake, and this was a big mistake. But otherwise, his tafsir is uh, really thorough and covers a lot of things in it. So, hmm. this is going to be Saturday. The book on this, is it published or not, or, or not yet? Uh, there, There's an Arabic summary of it online. I think I, I sent you the link uh, a couple months mm-hmm. back. But there's so, so there's a summary of it published by a journal in Jordan. Okay. Um, because it's all in Arabic. I don't know if I put it. I might put it in English one day, but that would be kind of interesting. So you did this <laughs> in Saudi? Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was my thesis in Jeddah, okay. yeah. It'll be an amazing yeah. book to have in English, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. If, it's, if it's critiquing the translations, right, mm. then the English audience needs that. Yeah. No, absolutely. That, that's, yeah. that's the, that, the word needs to get out about that yeah. and, and why there should, there should be... Uh, a translation that's done with a panel of people yeah. and, and, it's, and it's done the proper way with the metin there with the, the original Arabic text there or I think um, the, they should just do the translation of Asiyuti's um, Jalalain Asiyuti and Mahalli just translate the Jalalain yeah. because that gives you a, yeah. right uh, because yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. frankly I never read translations the only translation I could ever read was Abdul Halim's but every mm-hmm. other translation something about it just really puts you to sleep and doesn't engage your mind at all it's almost like mm. just not it's not fitting something something about the translation every i go to an event mm. the translation part of the event is always the worst part right 
some there's something wrong with the flow. There's just something not clicking. The Abdul Halim yeah, translation is the first one that I felt f- has a flow to it, and I could actually listen okay. to this. Yeah, mm-hmm. I maybe it's the the Buley one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I should probably I, I, do, I do that one because obviously when I do my translation work, I have to have some sort of translation I like to use for the ayat. That, that's that's very very helpful. Yeah, because I think translating like if I'm going to put a translate ayat by ayat, that's okay, and and it fits the context of a book. Like this is what Allah is saying. Yeah. Uh, but yes, obviously for the for the overall translation, it's just it just can't be done. It just can't be done. Mm-hmm. But but to give credit, like like one of the things I like about the Buleys, I'll put, put credit. And this is what like what sets them apart in many ways from other people is they actually say what tafsir they're using. Mm-hmm. They say what qira'ah they're using. Like go back to what what, what Imam Masuti said about qira'at, right? Like, mm-hmm. like tell us what qira'at you're using. Yeah. Are we, are we supposed to assume using hafs? Yeah. Right. So like the yeah. Buleys, they'll tell you. They say, listen, we're using wash, wash and nafia, right? Mm-hmm. That's the I numbering. That's what we're using. And we're using Imam Kelbi, We're using Qurtubi. We're using right. Okay. That 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 like help help us. Yeah, but these other these other translations, just like they don't tell you anything. It's just, okay, straight the to Quran. it. <laughs> hey Omar, can you please hand me the the Sheikh Noor translation? Let's see if he has an intro in this. Uh, it, when when someone enters Islam and wants a Quran, do you give him one? Uh, translation, do you give him one? Uh, good question. Again, I, w- I would probably I would probably give them. If I had, if I put in that situation, I probably, I probably would give them the beauty translation. I think that's probably the safest, in my view. But yeah. again, again, like the, the mistakes I mentioned earlier, they're, they're there, right? Like those two, I have like the 24, and Nisan, and sort of the Noor, they're there. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. same mistakes. Even, and again, like I said, Imke, and Imkathir says in his tafsir, sort of Nisad, I 23, he says, there's no mafum, not mafum Allah in this ayah. And then he quotes sort of Noor 20, I 33, I 33, I 33. It's the same thing, Ajib. right? It's just, which is weird. So, yeah. um, I, don't, I don't want to gain or denigrate people's efforts, but it is, this is quite no. The whole point of uh, why our yeah. religion survives is because it's out there and it's all for constant review and constant check. If people had to shut their yeah. mouths, a mistake would last forever, and people would build on that mistake. Yeah. Um, when a new Muslim comes, I prefer not even to give him a Quran translation mm-hmm. because it's confusing. For, for yeah. somebody who doesn't understand it in the English and there are ahkam that they may totally mess up so what I yeah. prefer and I still haven't figured this out yet is um, I want a 100 to 200 page biography of the prophet for beginners it's one of the things that I wanted to write right? okay. first seerah book biography Ooh. of the prophet that would be for beginners or for cho- uh, like youth and new converts mm-hmm. like at that level mm-hmm. that reading level uh, that is a biography of the Prophet ﷺ. Mingled with it is Shama'il. Mingled mm. with it is principles of Aqidah and Sharia. Right? Mm, so it's okay. all mingled in. So that if this is the first book a person is given, the fundamentals of Aqidah are there. Okay? Mm. Which is relevant to the Sirah because the first ayat of Mecca were those verses. Fundamentals of Sharia are there in Medina. Because you're not going to just talk about Wars and Dawa, who converted and who fought and who got captured. Mm. In between that, there was a lot of things happening, such as revelation of Ayas. And then Shema, it has to always be mixed in there too, because the Prophet Mm. was always meeting people, talking, and they were observing him. Mm. That was happening too in Mecca and Medina. And that would basically be 120, 150 pages that really has the 
vitamins or the, let's say, the fundamentals of everything in it as in the form of a sirah. And I think that is that would be the best thing for a brand new Muslim, right, to read. Far more useful for him. I can't say anything is superior to the Quran, even the translation of the Quran, but but it's far more useful than a translation. Because mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if I open up a translation here, it's just uh, something's uh, going to jump and you're not going to understand it. And the Quran, in, as it is in Arabic, can do that. It can jump from one... Uh, voice to another voice from one subject to another because you'll see in that in the beauty of the wording right the beauty of the language will allow for that and will even distract you from trying to find structure to it and that's the miracle of the quran in arabic which doesn't translate uh in english so uh 10 o'clock in new jersey time this will not be broadcast it will not be streamed but we will Inshallah Ta'ala be doing this for ArcView students another time, not now. And maybe a shortened version because no one can stay in front of the computer for so long. It, it, it's you know, going to kill you, but we do plan. We will, we will do breaks, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you guys, Everyone yeah. who comes, you all know where the restaurants are. You should order some food uh, and do these things. Uh, uh, get lunch and, and, and have some breaks. But uh, for those who are asking about having this online... Not this time. The onliners will have its own, its own event. Oftentimes, an on-site event that's streamed doesn't have the same flow for the onliners as it does, especially when audience members are talking, etc. So, yeah. Okay, uh, qu- uh, let's take questions now from YouTube and from Instagram and from our our live audience here. Okay. Okay. As I as I'm looking here. Um, at uh, Sheikh Nuh's introduction. I should read it, actually. Very interesting introduction um, to the book. It's pretty long, actually. Yeah, it's pretty long. I'm just looking at the headers of his introduction here. Um, yeah, I want to read it. Themes of the surahs. This, uh, this is actually very useful. He has this chapter on themes of the surahs, where he goes through all... Uh, 114 surahs, and he gives you a paragraph on the theme of the surah, right? which is interesting, but of course it's never going to be encompassing. Just interesting. And then the way, I like the way in which he translated this, where um, he, he has the whole page of Quran, and then the whole page of translation, and it's on the the the, the printing, or the, the codex of the Medina Mus'haf, which was by Uthman Taha, so that you could actually do... Oh, you know what I wish he had also done here? It would have been amazing. In the corner, if he put what page it would be on in the Medina Mus'haf, which most people read on. And even the Codex has been sold. So the Syrians pr- published with that. The Turks... Pu- a lot of, lot of um, countries and different publishers use that same Mus'haf that's around 600 pages, 20 pages of Juz. Every page ends with an ayah. That's what's known as the Medina Mus'haf. And it was first written like that by Uthman Taha. And there's a whole um, short documentary on how he did it and how he is actually the first person to, to do this. It's a, an achievement. 20 pages of Juz. Every page ends with an ayah. No carryover into the next ayah. So it would be interesting. It would have been nice if he had put in the corner there what page... Um, the Arabic is in relation to the Medina Mus'haf. 
So, in any event, let's now turn to comments and questions. Um, yes, go ahead. Rel- relative to this. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. So, someone's asking, will Sheikh uh, Mahdi put together a channel of people including himself to translate the Quran? You want to do it? Do I want to what? Do you, oh, his mic wasn't on. Do you hear the, the, no. question, the question said, will you put a panel together and get a translation of the Quran? Well, like a tafsir of the Quran in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've thought about it, but I mean, I haven't made any concrete steps. No, I have so much on my plate in front yeah. of me. Yeah. I have so many other projects in mind. Um, I think I'd rather have people learning more Arabic. But yeah, I think it's something that could be done. Something that could be done. But I haven't made any concrete steps towards it. It so. would be a massive project to put together the Sunni study Quran, right? Because yeah. the study Quran was based on the study Bible, right? And the publisher had yeah. published the study Bible. Then they wanted, they probably, I guess they had the study Torah, the study Gita, right? Yeah. But then the study Quran. But yeah. we end up needing a Sunni study Quran. And that would be great mm. where each verse gets a more extensive treatment beyond just a translation. Mm. That's what the concept of the study Bible is or the study Quran is, right? Mm. And the issue with the study Quran was that it, um, it went through all the theological schools, which is fine mm. because they do tell you Shias say this or uh, so-and-so says that. That's fine, right? But what they don't tell you is wherever they stick in their perennialism, they'll never mm-hmm. say, and the perennialist school of thought says this, or the perennialists, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's whatever. Presented. That's mainstream Islam. Yeah, yeah they yeah, present yeah. it as if that's the overarching absolute. Yeah. Nonetheless, mm-hmm. there, are, there are valuable things in it if you want to see a comparison of what the different theological schools say. And I don't have much reason to think that they were incompetent in trans... Uh, in transmitting that, I think they were competent. They knew how to transmit things, but uh, it was not not a question of competence, but a question of ethics. The way they brought forth the perennial philosophy as like the truth, not cornering it into a perspective, saying this is our belief, or as or this is the perennialist persuasion states X, Y, and Z. And for every ayah that came across the exclusivity of Islam. They always say, see Lombard's um, appendix on the subject, yeah. right? Yeah, because he's the marja, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that's why uh, if anyone comes upon a couple, I would say maybe 100 grand. For 100 grand, mm-hmm. you can give part-time jobs to scholars, young scholars, and one veteran over them, right? Mm-hmm to produce a Sunni study Quran, it'll take seven years, maybe five years. Sunni study Quran, 100,000 bucks and seven years, right? That's what it'll take. 100,000 bucks is not even a lot of money, right? Some people make that in a month, right? And that's a bad month for them. It's true. But in any event, next question. Is it better to study grammar and then move to speaking? You studied so much Arabic. Is grammar better than studying speaking or reading so you have studying grammar you have reading and you have speaking okay guide uh, the new okay well it depends on your intention Mm -hmm. it depends on your intention if 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 your intention is is to 
read the classical books or just not the classical, just this, the books of the other map, whether it's this age or the previous age, then obviously your, your intention, your, your focus is grammar. Your focus is grammar and vocabulary. That's what you want to get down. Uh, and you want to know how to use the hands of your dictionary. So that mm -hmm. means you have to know sock, you have to know the, the verb patterns, uh, the, 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 the and the, uh, you need to know these things, the, the, the root word, the root letters of words, you know, so you can use the dictionary. You, you can identify what a verbal sentence is, what a normal sentence is, what a native off is, what a prepositional phrase is. That's for reading. Uh, again, if, if your intention is speaking, then that's different. If you're going to go to the Arab world, you want to speak to people, uh, or you're planning on being on Arab TV or something like that, uh, then you're going to have to get into, <laughs> then speaking is going to be more important for you. Because again, the because you understand also there's there's different levels of Arabic here because we're talking about we we have we have what we call the fusha, the classical Arabic is what you find that that's the that's the, that's the that's the language of the Quran and that's the books of the, that's the Hadith that's the books of the man. Then you have what's called al Arabil modern standard Arabic, uh, which is the language of Al Jazeera and that and that is uh, and and in the modern Arab press which. Uh, it's close. You, you like you. You can study that and jump up to Fusa. That's not. That's not difficult. But it does have a lot of weird, um, like ex weird expressions because they're just hack translated from English, mm -hmm. right? They're, they're, mm -hmm. Like um, they don't really make any sense. Like 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 for, like, for example, they, they'll use expressions like uh, like Yel Abu Dawran. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. That's like terrible. That is so terrible. Which is, yeah. Which doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Because play, because playing a role is, is is comes from English because English has a history of theater, yeah. Right. So someone can play the role of matchmaker. Someone can play yeah. the role of mediator, or whatever it is. But like in in, in Arabic, they're, they're saying yell Abu Dawran, and they're using Dawr because from Dawr means a circle. Yeah, yeah. So it's like he's it's like he's he's playing a role. <laughs> it's, 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 they should it's, say Yakumu Maqam. Yakum Maqam exactly. Yakum yeah. Maqam like, like yeah. he he was fulfilling or, or like the belief or something like that. He had the yeah. function of the yeah. Uh, but um, so that's the, and then you have to understand that there's the dialects, right? There's the Egyptian dialect, there's the, there's the Moroccan dialect, there's the Syrian dialect, um, and you can uh, like, like like that's what you would study if you want to learn. So I'm like, when I went to Morocco for my year abroad, they taught us the Moroccan dialect for a month because they're mm -hmm. like, this is what you're gonna need on the streets, this is what you're gonna need when you go yep. places, yep. right? Because if you go around speaking Fosha. People might be impressed, but they might not even understand you. No, they right? won't so, you, so, you, so, so you want to you want to be able to say to people like you know you want to yeah. be able to use these kind of expressions. Uh, so it all comes down it all comes down to what your intention is. Um, it's interesting. I was, I, was, I was having I was having a conversation last night with uh, my colleague at the Arc Academy over here. Mm, there's two arcs, <laughs> by the way, folks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this one's called. You guys use the Arabic name. They use the yeah. English name. Ark. So, uh, so I was with uh, with Sheikh Salman Al Boss. We were talking about this last night, and and, and he he said that you know a good, a good tip is it, like if you if you want to when you get to the Arab world, you know if you are going to go, let's say you're, you are going to go there to study, right? But so you're going to so you want to have your classical Arabic for your classes because obviously when you when you study your, your teachers will be using you know like uh, Fosa Arabic because that's what the books the books in that language and so forth. But you want to get around and start talking to people. Don't be shy to talk to people because um because you because you don't know you don't think your grammar is so sharp mm -hmm. or so, no if you if you want something on the street just go for it just go for it so so he said for example and the, and the best no i said the best example of this right is if you go to places especially because i lived in jeddah the people who have no shyness about speaking arabic are a lot of the migrant workers like the pakistanis the indians the Bangladeshis. they speak arabic yeah they, they, they speak Arabic, and it's an Arabic that you used to get by. It, it's not grammatical. 
right? But they made but it so happen. They might, yeah. They made it happen. So they'll, so they'll, so they'll say, for example, like they want to say, like, what good are you? Mm-hmm. I'll say, na the enter. Yeah. Right? Like, what good are you? Yeah. Like, like, uh, or they want to say, like, are, are you, are you not, are you not a human being? Like, nafi insan enter. Yeah. Right. And, and, and but, but those expressions, like those expressions, like fee and mafi, right? Because fee is just, it's just a truncation of, of, of the classical khabar uh, muqaddim, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like fil yeah. you know, fil you know, yeah. fil fil right? So you can you can get by in somewhere like Jeddah just saying fee and mafi, yeah. <laughs> like it's here, it's not here. You yeah. can get by. Yeah. Someone asks you a question because if someone asks you a question, you say mafi, like yeah. I don't have the answer, it's not there, yeah. whatever it is. Someone asks you, yeah, fee. You can get by. So, uh-huh. so that, so that, that, that's the thing you have to understand. Is like, don't, don't be so shy. And again, Arabs, especially, especially the ones, especially the ones in the east, not, not the Moroccans, the ones in the east, like again, like Egypt, these kinds of places. They're, they're not going to be, uh, they're not going to be, uh, they're not like laugh at you or mock you. They'll, yeah. they'll see that you're trying. They'll see that you're trying. Yeah. The people who do mock, and I, I think, I think part of the phobia is I've, I've noticed in England. I, I don't, I don't know what you guys are like in. Uh, I was, I was theorizing. This is a big theory I have. I was theorizing the other day about the shyness of trying to speak up, speak up, pick up Arabic. And I blame. I found a culprit. It's the French. Mm. It's the French. Okay, because because the French. Because again, in America, I know you know you guys learn French and Spanish, don't you? It depends on your school. Because I guess also you have far more Spanish speakers. I grew up in Canada. We have to learn French at school. Um, England, they learn French at school. And I think you have choice of German Spanish. But the thing about the French is the French are so like particular about their language mm. and then if you try to speak french to a french person or you go on holiday to, to, to paris allah help you um yeah. <laughs> and you try to speak to those people they'll laugh at you yeah like you're trying to speak their language they laugh at you they'll, they'll, they'll insist a that you speak their language and then you try to speak the language they'll laugh at you, and, they'll, and they'll laugh at you like this the tiniest mistakes like you said could but not could right and that and, and i think that psychological that that kind of that deflates you and, and you start thinking, oh, I can't speak a foreign language, right? Whereas uh, if, if, you, if you go to, I noticed, I noticed this as well, like the, the, the Moroccan, when I lived in Morocco, like the Moroccans, they kind of like inherited that from the French. So like mm. you start trying to speak Fosfai Arabic with a Moroccan, they start acting French with you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to speak <laughs> Arabic? Like, like, you know, you know where, whereas like when I was in Jeddah speaking Arabic, people just loved it. People just accepted it. They, they just like, great. You know, they, yeah. they're like, you're speaking our language, you know, and they don't care about the little mistakes and you didn't have a bomba, you know, the fatah there and you forgot your med. They don't care that you're, 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 you're clear. It, when right? I go you know, to, to <laughs> yeah, go ahead. when I go to the Gulf, I feel that there's so many um, daisies there and they have oh, yeah, exactly. developed a new dialects. I think the Daisy Arabic is a new dialect, right? Yeah. <laughs> so let me take one more question here from a questioner before we log off. Uh, which masjid do you teach at in Bradford? Or do you frequent or do you have any activity in public in Bradford? In the public uh, sphere? Wow, someone in Bradford's spying on me. Okay. Mm. Um, no. So no. In in, in Bradford, I, I I just teach Arabic at Arc Academy. That's the main that makes place where I'm teaching. I teach Arabic Arc Academy. And that's a physical place and, people could walk into, sign up. Yeah, that's a, that's okay. a physical place. And the, and the classes the classes I do are online and on site. So the people who come on the people who come actually there to the place and then study Arabic. But I I put up the Zoom and the microphone to set everything up. And so I've got some people from the U.S. I've got people from Singapore, people from Holland, mm-hmm. uh, people from different parts of the U.K. Um, 
and uh, yeah, so so that's that's I'm not affiliated to anything like particular message. And then uh, as I started recently, like I, I do go around to different cities uh, to give talks and workshops and presentations, stuff like that, and you know promote my books and these kinds of things. So yeah, okay, but very uh, good. I'm not, I'm not tied to any particular message, no. Mashallah. All right, so we will see you getting ready to host you here on Thursday, inshallah ta'ala. And then, again, if you are in the area, Friday evening, talk on uh, depression and anxiety. Okay, um, reasons. What time is that going to be, by the way? That's going to be at 7 o'clock. Yeah, 7 o'clock till Maghrib. And then maybe we're going to have a Q&A after or some refreshments afterwards. And then Saturday is the big day. We won't take you too much of your... Uh, uh, energy and time Friday because we know Saturday you'll still be over getting over the jet lag and then you'll have 10 to 5 on Saturday so I hope to see everyone there again that's not going to be online but in the future we will have a type of event where that is uh, solely online for ArcView students if you want to study and take classes you go to arcview.org and you could take ArcView Basic and ArcView Plus uh, depending on what your needs are and inshallah, starting in September, Sheikh Mahdi will be leading the ArcView Arabic. Uh, it's going to be a break-off by itself. ArcView Arabic, where people who go there will be dedicated to studying Arabic online, and it'll just be Arabic, nothing else, no distractions. Um, many hours of live classes, division of levels, material, quizzes, examinations, and he'll really take care of you and build you up. So, Jazakumullah khairan, everybody. Uh, Sheikh Mahdi, yeah, thank you so much, and we'll wait no, for you, you on this side of the ocean, and see you Thursday, inshallah. Jazakumullah khairan, everyone. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wal asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Oh